Hey, I'm Robbie. And I'm Brett. And I'm Dave, baby. And we work with the great people at the Buffalo Bayou Partnership to protect and maintain the waterways in our community. That's right, we do. At American Family Insurance, we know that with the right support and the right team, any dream is possible. Like our dream to have cleaner waterways in our hometown. Every dream deserves a champion. Find your dream champion at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Wrestle Addict Radio Network. Radio Network. Hey, what's up, you guys? What is going on, everybody? What up, fam? Hey, it's me. What up, oozes? What's up, guys? This is the Monday Night Delight. Are you looking for a network that brings you all things pro wrestling? Then look no further. Wrestle Addict Radio brings you a varied source of wrestling content. What's going on, guys? This is Willie T. My name is Mr. Press. This is your resident smart slayer. Search for Wrestle Addict Radio on all major podcast platforms and be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Buzz, buzz, guys. My name is Kate Murphy of the Kings of the Ring podcast and you are listening. And you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you are listening. Get ready for a war because you're listening. Come join the war each and every week as we fight to keep wrestling real. What's up, everybody? This is King Ricky Rose and you are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio. Radio, radio, radio. What up, fam? It's your boy, JC Bones, the host of the Fourth Wall WrestleCast. And you are making a change because you're listening to the Game Changer Podcast only on Wrestle Addict Radio. first hands what happens to souls that think they can look into the eye of the dragon this contract is not for a match it's the execution of Heidenreich ominous words in 2004 probably one of my first times really hearing <laughs> oh, man. oh man you've already given me the face palm and honestly it didn't even seem like tonight was like a facepalm moment, except for one moment with AEW, but that'll be something discussed off the air. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Game Changer Podcast, a part of Wrestle Attic Radio, you guys. I am Nate DF and Great, and I'm being joined here by the Paul Bearer to my undertaker, that being the one and only, everybody's favorite Canadian, as well as everybody's favorite person on Z Twitter, that being the one and only, Mr. Fretz. <laughs> oh my gosh. If we would have gotten a ball. <laughs> double wide, double tall. Hey, it works out this is a tall boy. Um, yeah, it is me. It is me. It's Mr. F R E T Z enjoying a nice tall boy of Bosch Kong Brewing Crew. 
cream ale from lovely Minden, Ontario. Shout out to Bosch Kong. Please sponsor and pay me. Oh my gosh, that, that is amazing, dude. So, we actually do have a bit of an action-packed show here. We got two uh, major events to, well, actually three major events to cover. We got this past weekend, Survivor Series weekend. We got another retro deal going on. Uh, and honestly, I think that it's only fair that since we do talk about Survivor Series quite a bit during the show this past month, we definitely should probably bring up The Undertaker, and there is going to be uh, a really good key point to start that off with. But before we get into that, um, for those of you that not, that don't know already, and honestly, I'm actually realizing, I think that we this episode is going to be the first episode in the final month of 2019. How, God, this, this year went by way too fast. It... Uh, dude, you're... You're not kidding. It's like I I'm looking at this calendar. Where, where was it? Uh, November twenty seventh is the day we're recording here, yeah. and it feels like just yesterday you and I did our first podcast together, which I think was this time last year. But I'm looking mm-hmm. at this. I'm like, how was that November? It's like I've been perpetually tired since like April. Like uh, you 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 know what's what was going on. Uh, at my, at my workplace when I had to switch over to the other shift, but it was just, since then, like, I, I worked, and I, I, I don't toot my horn, but I've worked my ass off this year, hey, but it's at a grocery store, yeah, stocking shelves is hard work, folks, especially when you have a bad pack, but, yeah, it's, it's unreal, like, I remember th- this time last year, we were just absolutely ramping about uh, evolution, I know a lot of our you know, Russell Addict Radio uh, brothers, sisters, and, and non-binaries were and non-binaries were there. So it's it's my goodness. And what has changed in Russell Addict Radio since then? Yeah, I mean, last year I think it was you know Rant with Ant and Who Got Next were on here, and uh, well, we we just uh, had the last episode of um, Not Your Mama Soap Opera, which I'm going to listen to hopefully tomorrow night. And you know, you and I get on there. It's Dude, a lot can change in, well, a couple of months even, because we've only been on since, like, April. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. And with that change does come a, another big change for Wrestle Attic Radio, as it was announced this past week by our good friend, Mr. Mance, that the final Gift of the Podcast uh, show will be taking place on December 30th. So... From all of us here at the Game Changer Podcast, we wish you nothing but the best, Mance. It has honestly been an honor and a privilege to work with you. Honestly, still one of my favorite things about Mance wasn't even like a sh- like you know something on um, on his show. It was actually during Rank Gala, where he I think it was like his team versus King Ricky's team, where they were debating about certain various uh, wrestling. Uh, Project, not projects, uh, wrestling, wrestling deals, uh, issues, and stuff like that. And it seemed like King Ricky had the last laugh, but it ended with um, with Mance doing, I think was like maybe just like some kind of wrestling or stuff like that. Maybe it was like a Superman punch or something. Ricky goes down, one, two, three. Mance gets the victory on there. It, that was, I think that by far is my favorite moment of Mance. But he is going to be sorely missed as well as Jeff Pomaccio, as you mentioned, his show uh, will be released on on uh, this past Wednesday during Thanksgiving. Uh, and also, for those of you that don't know, Happy Thanksgiving. 
to all of us here from all of us here in America. And uh, yeah, we we realize that this is going to be on the on the first of uh, December, so we're kind of making up for a little bit of lost cause, but it is what it is. But again, Mance, we love you, we support you, and you will be sorely missed. Uh, absolutely, uh, Mance is one of the shows on on this network that I have actually been enjoying the most. Uh, I love hearing about old WCW, and uh, forgive me, this is kind of morbid, but I just it was kind of funny to hear hear uh, Brother Mance just go absolutely crazy over the awfulness that was late WCW, and now I'm. Out of morbid curiosity, I want to check some of this out for myself now that I have the network. Uh, you know, man, I actually looked on Twitter to uh, make sure it was okay for us to talk about it, but he tweeted about it. So, um, yeah, Mance, I have a lot of love and respect for you, uh, not only as a fellow podcaster, but as a fellow a fellow Christian. It's uh, you're, you're, you're a very warm, encouraging heart, even when you're going through a whole bunch of tough times and really bad shit. Uh, my, my love and support and prayers go out to uh, you, your family. Uh, good luck in whatever whatever else you decide to do from here on. And, you know, maybe I just might bring some bad sub WCW over to Frontalmania. And I have something I'm going to review on that show. I'll tell you about it a little later. But uh, thank you, Mance and Jeff, for what you both brought to to the network. I look forward to uh, hearing hearing about your lives. I mean, I definitely want to keep in touch with you guys. Uh, you, know, you know, we know Mance, uh, his uh, father's been having health problems for the past while, and uh, it's something I can, I can relate to as well. Like, you know, my, my dad's health has been up and down the past few years, so it's, um, it, you know, it sucks. I'm going to say straight up, but, you know, life, life happens. And, uh, you know, I'll, from, from me up here, my heart, support, and love go goes to both of you, uh, Jeff and uh, Mance. Godspeed. And yeah. if, I, if I must put one more thing from Mance over, do you remember his very, very, very short-lived show with uh, Maddie Wilson, I think it was called 96.6. It was a bunch of like, there's a 10 minute podcast with a bunch of phony uh, radio ads and dips and bops and skits. Uh, I do not actually, but it sounds like something I should definitely see if I can look, find. It sounds very entertaining. I think it's in the former Russell Attic radio feed, on the former Russell Attic radio feed, like okay. Dan's old, old one. I think it was last year or the year before, it was it only had about five or six shows because I think Maddie Wilson was also on the Gift of Podcast, if, if I'm not mistaken, after the other guy left. Uh, Mance recorded, he actually uploaded the first Gift of Podcast from some, I think it was like Backlash 16 around that time. And oh, it's, wow. it, it's he, says, he, he says it's cringy. I'm like, yeah, it's funny. I, I can see the cringe, but it's really funny. Mance is a very funny, very smart man. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, I've put them over. Godspeed. We will put them over no matter what. I mean, oh, those, are, those are two individuals that definitely deserve all the praise in the world. So, you know, I, Fred's took every single bit of it, and I could not have said it better. So, going from that and transitioning to, as people noticed, the first song that was played on here was the song of The Undertaker. And recently, uh, Undertaker was on the Stone Cold Broken Skull Sessions. And honestly, 
getting the chance to you know watch that and listen to all of these crazy things that you know Undertaker kind of was going through throughout his career. And actually, they barely scratched the surface on it. I think that Stone Cold said best after the show was over. He's like, you know, I think we've barely kind of scratched, you know, bits and pieces of your career and would love to have you back on. And Undertaker, he seemed like he would be interested in it. And honestly, I would be totally fine for a part two. Uh, Hearing his stories about how he and his friend would do this whole deal where uh, they would just get all rowdy and tough when... They're, they're, they're wrestling fans, and they're just being be like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this this guy. We're going to do this guy. We're going to punch him. We're going to do this and this this. And then, like, the original Sheik, he would come out, and they would just kind of be like, 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 you know, like fans do, but also kind of, like, tamed, as it were. And then as soon as he's gone, they're just looking at each other. They're just like, why the hell didn't you do anything? Why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you do anything? It's just one of those things where it's like, he's relatable. That's what makes Undertaker amazing, is that, he has stories like that that are so relatable. It's amazing. Uh, talks about his career, uh, like how it started off with, uh, I believe his guy with the name of uh, Buzz Sawyer, how he started training without a ring, which was absolutely insane. Uh, he talked a little bit about his early days in WCW. Uh, then we reach uh, 1990, which we're going to be reviewing that entire uh, show in, ju- in ju- just a little bit, um, but getting for him to just go there, and he just sees this egg, and he's just like, "Oh boy," um, and he he honestly thought, "I'm going to be the egg man," and <laughs> he gets a call from Vince before the show starts. He said, "It's like, hello, yes, am I speaking to the Undertaker?" And he's like, well, "Yeah, yeah, it is." Okay, cool. See you, see you at the show. Just stuff like that. It's just like. I, I guess that's it. I guess he's going to be playing The Undertaker. Um, he talks about how he definitely has tried his best to stay in character, which definitely when you reach the end of the show, you see how tough it is for him to, for him to do that. Um, he talks about the transition from going from that to the whole biker taker to the big evil taker. Uh, it really gets emotional and it really gets kind of kind of heartfelt when they discuss the WrestleMania 30 match because Undertaker talks about this matchup and he talks about you know how in the early parts he got a concussion he does and that you know the whole thing with you know with the whole suplexes deal not Brock's fault he admits that he was you know more than willing to take these spots and he doesn't blame Brock for anything and that's one of those things that's really cool is that he's that respectful to say, you know, hey, I wanted to do these spots. This was, this was kind of more... I mean, it was not one of those things where he's going to blame Brock. He's going to say, like, oh, well, Brock tried to hurt me. He's like, no, Brock was doing his job. And I respect that. Uh, but he remembers getting concussed, and then he does not remember anything beyond that. He does not remember anything beyond that. He doesn't remember competing in the match. I believe that he mentioned that he was in, like, a trainer's room, and he's asking a question to his wife, uh, Michelle. He's asking, you know, where, you know, where am I? And she's, she's, she's maybe thinking, like, you know, he's playing a joke or something like that, and he's getting all heated up, and he's just like, no, God damn it, where am I? I don't know where I am. And it was one of those things where he talks about how he doesn't want his last match to be something where he would not remember it. And 
it's one of those things where it's admirable, and I think there's also a part of me that thinks that that's a bit extreme, considering he is a you know he has reached a point in his career where he should definitely take it easy and he should definitely probably fade away. And during during this interview, he de- definitely has made the the qualm about you know not not having too much more in the way of, you know, years for wrestling. He, I think he's at the point where he's like, you know, I'm fine with not wrestling anymore. I've done everything that I could. And, you know, if... I, th- I think another really cool moment was he mentions that if, you know, somebody like on the internet who's not even walked a mile in his shoes were to say like, oh, why does he keep coming back? He should retire, something like that. He will literally, you know, get fumed up and he will just... They'll be like, you know, you know... You, you stupid idiot! You're not gonna. You don't know what it's like to be a mile in my shoes. You don't have a right to say that. But if it was somebody that you know he respects, like Austin or maybe Hunter, uh, Triple H or you know Sean, if they were to say like you know, hey, maybe you should probably probably should hang it up. He would he would be like, you know, that is probably a good idea. So it's still kind of up in the air, but it seems like he's definitely a lot more happier uh, not competing than. <laughs> Been competing on the road for so long. Uh, I think he touched very briefly about the whole Goldberg matchup. Nothing really too heavily pushed on. Uh, But then he talks about how sometimes it's very hard for him to keep the character, you know, as strong as he can uh, by by having keeping that stone cold face and. So, so Austin brings up a couple of stories. Uh, one of them is involved with like this deal where everybody's doing almost like this human centipede, but everybody's doing like the headlock deal. Like you know how nowadays Joey Ryan does the whole deal where everybody's just grabbing junk, grabbing their junk and stuff like that. Uh, and he does that kind of deal. Well, apparently they did something like that, but with everybody getting like a headlock in. And I think Austin made like a laugh or something like that, and he almost broke Taker. Uh, another moment that they mentioned was the uh, was was the deal where they were trying to get Undertaker to do the Taker Rooney shit like that, and literally Undertaker just looks directly into the camera, and he was just saying saying say, all the, this message related to Vince that I'm gonna go back there, and I don't want and I don't want to see you there. If I do, I got some strong words coming at you, or he was gonna say like he was gonna punch him or something like that. And then literally, like, a couple minutes after that happened, Vince just walks out to the ring. Then he does his own version of the, the McManaroonie, we'll call it. And it's just... <laughs> it is so cringy. It's one of those things that you would expect from a 50-year-old man trying to do some kind of breakdance maneuver. Or me. Oh, my gosh. It was so cringy. Uh... Apparently, I think he they were trying to do this for, like, hours, and there's a point where um, Taker was able to, to uh, during this, like, chaos where everybody was trying to do it, uh, he was able to, like, sneak back. He's not, like, doing, like, a, like a tiptoe, like, cartoony kind of deal. He's able to kind of, like, segue and sneak on back. Uh, Big Show tried to bring him out, and just before they reached the curtain, Taker was just like, just like, you do realize that I could literally beat the ever-living crap out of you if you take me out. Uh, this curtain and Big Show just lets him go. He's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> just it's one of those things where it's like, "What the hell?" Um, this is honestly a very enjoyable uh, set 
enjoyable show where, again, it talks about Undertaker's early careers. He talks about uh, people who have kind of impacted his career. He definitely mentions Jake the Snake as one of the guys who definitely influenced him during his early parts of his career. That's that's a huge homage to, to a legend like him, uh, who will also be mentioned in, a, in the show later on. Um, he, you know, talks about, you know, transitions. He talks about certain moments, certain matches, deals, and also tries to try to keep the character, you know, strong and keep it, even just keeping it, uh, like some people are able to kind of play it off like, hey, I, I'm supposed to be serious, but I kind of laugh, but hey, that's part of my character. I meant to do that. No, Taker was always that kind of guy who was like, if I laugh when I'm supposed to be the Undertaker, then I know I kind of screwed up. So it is kind of one of those strong commitments that's very admirable for uh, for Taker, or definitely during the show, he's known as Mark, uh, for Mark to kind of, you know, try to keep that kind of commitment. And it's definitely one of those things that's well admirable and love deal. So I'm very much looking forward to the next uh, few episodes that they have of the Broken Skull Sessions. But I don't know, Mr. Fretz, did you get a chance to see the Broken Skull Sessions? Uh, not Maybe not much in its entirety, but did you see enough to kind of understand some of these things that I'm talking about? Yep, I watched the whole thing. Okay, uh, cool. I just didn't watch it all in one sitting. Okay. I think it was... It was on right after Sur- Survivor Series, and by the time that show was over, I was dead. So I managed to get through <clears throat> about an hour of it. I was off Monday, so I just put it on in the background while I was uh, I was making some Chex Mix. So I thought, I'll put this on in the background and listen to it. Very, very good. I mean, part two, three, hell, probably even more than that, because I want to hear Paul Bearer, even if they... If, if he's, he's definitely broken character and went as Mark Calloway in this special. So I'm like, okay, I want to hear some Paul Bearer, Nolan Hart ribs, some Mr. Fuji, like uh, any kind of stories. And why the hell he is so deadly afraid of cucumbers? Hmm. He has this irrational fear of cucumbers. It's a, it's a well-known story in the wrestling lore if you've been listening to things like Pritchard or... Uh, um, redacted name that got fired this week podcast or um, fill, fill in the blank um, he has a truly fascinating career and when he goes in the Hall of Fame I mean I just I just want to hear hear about it like hear more because we've been seeing this this character being excuse me protected for all for all of these years by kayfabe like hell you know Taker never goes to or never attends the Hall of Fame because kayfabe. But he's watching in, excuse me again, watching in the back. But this is a man, I, I've been a he, big fan. I, he's probably top, he's top five for sure in, in my books. But he's, if, if there's if there's one guy I want to see a book out of, I want to see like a, well, he has like 20 DVDs, but I mean a, Massive collection. I mean, he could put the. I mean, at this point in time, his career can put the Lord of the Rings box set to shame. You know, it is one of those things where, uh, just recently, you know, Swaggle just had his, uh, his book uh, published. It would be kind of cool to have one of those kind of deals where maybe Undertaker only has, or Mark has, just one book, where you know he talks about these experiences, like you said, whether it's the Owen Hart ribs or his connection with Paul, uh, maybe the chemistry that he and uh, Glenn uh, Kane 
had going into you know the feud and how they were able to make that you know chemistry work, whether they were foes or allies. Um, maybe go a little more in depth with his relationship with Vince McMahon. So I think that there's probably so many stories that I would be very interested in hearing when it comes to those two. Uh, not just, you know, him almost wanting to just punch Vince in the face for trying to make him do a, a Taker Rooney. Uh, there's got to be, like, so many other stories for that. But uh, one name that was kind of thrown out as another person that could be on the Broken Skull session was uh, Phil Brooks, CM Punk. Now... That would be something I'd be interested in, just because of the fact that um, I like what they did with the. I think it was a. I think it was the WWE 12 video game where they had you know CM Punk. He's got you know the WWE title, and he and Austin are just basically kind of riffing. They're doing like this promo deal where they're kind of just bashing each other back and forth, that kind of deal. To kind of have that, maybe even have like a little more maybe like in more in-depth deals about that story there. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, but I'm not expecting it to be like the tell-all like CM Punk did with Colt Cabana years ago. Uh, I definitely do think it'd be kind of cool to hear like, you know, how he was kind of convinced to, you know, come back to the world of wrestling, not not play, just playing old WWE. Uh, what maybe got him to fall back in love with wrestling? Well, I don't know if he's really fallen in love with wrestling again, but... He definitely seems like he has a better relationship than he had uh, back in 2014. So, honestly, it's just one of those things I'd be interested in seeing. Absolutely. You know, I'm, 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 I've been a big, big CM Punk fan since he was in... Uh, crap, since he was in TNA with Raven and Julio De Niro and Alexis Lurie, a.k.a. Mickey James. He's, he's another guy I thought that's had a truly fascinating career, and... As soon as he, he left the WWE in 2014, I, I grabbed his DVD because I knew that it might be hard to find in the future because I, I thought back then he was done. I mean, n- none of us, I don't think any of us in Russell Attic Radio, let alone, you know, the entire wrestling Twitter thought that Punk would ever come back. I mean, it was always joked about with like, uh, you know, with like uh, King Ricky and uh, Kate Murphy or it would become a running joke like uh, J.C. Bones does with uh, Ruby Riot, in suit Ruby Riot theme in this Ooh. in this part here. <laughs> uh, yeah, big shout out there. But my good uh, Punk and Ruby Riot mixed match challenge. There it is. Hey, J.C. Bones, that one's for you, bro. Let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I would I would love to see this. I mean, he already did his tell all, and I think his tell all with. Uh, Cabana came from a place of bitterness and resentment, rightfully so, mind you. But now I'd like to know how he's grown over the past few years, you know, how his family life, how his life with um, A.J. Lee is, his uh, relationship with hockey. I mean, he's a he's a Chicago boy, so he's a big, big Blackhawks fan. And even though they suck this year, it's just really, really funny to see his inner interactions with um bailey who is the los angeles kings mascot they've always had a bit of a twitter feud especially when well when the blackhawks were good and they were winning stanley cups it was always the blackhawks versus the kings and like the western conference semifinals and you'd, you'd see them just have this little beef he'd be cutting a promo and you'd see 
from behind, you know, Bailey would come in with like a chair or something and they, they would have a bit of a spat. It's really entertaining. And actually, it was a Doc Haas that said, hey, maybe this is a segue for Punk to get into something with hockey. I mean, it, it, it's his passion. I mean, it, it's something that, you know, like hockey's after like hockey and wrestling, I think, are neck and neck for me. Like, just before here, I turned on the Maple Leafs game, and they destroyed the Red Wings 6 nothing. What a coaching change can do to a team. My goodness. Uh, uh, sorry to my Detroit Red Wings fans, uh, friends who are hearing this. I don't actually know any, but... Uh, yeah, just something to do with Punk, like maybe his relationship with comic books and his things, uh, making the Drax the Destroyer novels issues that he did, uh, his friendship with Batista. What about Batista's dick? Shh, no, we're not going there. Uh, and his acting career. I mean, he had a couple of movies out this year, and uh, shout out to John Rickland and the Durbinator. They reviewed um, Punk's movie. I forget what it's called. It's like a horror flick or something. John oh, okay. loves those movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember hearing that too. But um yeah, so we'll have to wait and see what kind of goes here. So guys, we're gonna take a little quick commercial break. We come back, we're gonna discuss the crazy uh Survivor Series weekend that took place here in which it was a major invasion. And was this invasion a pass, a fail? Was it good? Was it bad? Was it a success or was it just a giant flop, just like it was in two thousand and one? Well, we'll have to wait and see you guys. We will be right back. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is King Ricky Rose, your co-general manager of Wrestle Addict Radio and your host of Kings of the Rings podcast. And if you enjoy what you listen to each and every week here on Wrestle Addict Radio, we invite you to enjoy even more content from us on our exclusive Patreon page, where for just $5 a month, that's right, $5 a month. You get bonus content and commentary from each and every show here on WrestleAddict Radio. That means bonus content from the Kings of the Rings podcast, from Not Your Mama Soap Opera, from 4 4 WrestleCast, from the Get the Podcast, and from the Game Changer WrestleCast. So for $5 a month, go to patreon.com backslash WrestleAddict Radio, sign up. You get exclusive content, exclusive access to us pretty much 24 7, and exclusive shows that can only be found and are exclusive to Patreon. So again, folks, patreon.com backslash WrestleAddict Radio, $5 a month, all the content that you could ever want in wrestling. Enjoy. This is your pool party captain, Randy Fitzsimmons, and you're listening to the Game Changer Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Game Changer Podcast, a part of WrestleAdic Radio. And guys, we may have lost a couple of members of the family, but that does not mean that you should stop following them. For us here at the WrestleAdic Radio, the uh, Game Changer Podcast, the Kings of the Rings Podcast, and the Fourth Wall WrestleCast, we definitely do encourage you guys to follow Mance as well as Jeff on their podcast. And like I said, uh, Mance is going to be around with us for at least one more month, and then we'll kind of see what kind of goes goes from there. 
Um, definitely, guys, tune in to next Sunday because we will have the podcast award show hosted by the Wrestle Hub as well as our boy, the Rent Master, Anthony Stefano. Looking forward to seeing how that goes down. Uh, it's going to be a really crazy deal. I mean, I know that next, this upcoming weekend is going to be crazier for me because originally I was only planning on doing the ACW show and doing commentary for that, but I found out that I had this Saturday off, and I will say this, major shout-out to uh, Dave Hero's kid, Cal Hero, for inviting me to their Blizzard Brawl that they have in Milwaukee uh, coming up on that Saturday where they will feature uh, quite a few AEW stars and also will include uh, ODB and Molina. So it's one of those things where it's like... Do I want to go see Melina again? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. She's a sweetheart. I absolutely adore her. And the next episode that we do, you're going to find out how much I adore this woman. So, talk about that next week. Uh, But yeah, let's talk about Survivor Series weekend. Uh, For those that don't know, two of our colleagues, the one and only, well, actually, the duo of Will and King Ricky, they were at Survivor Series weekend for all four shows, I believe. I believe they were there for SmackDown. NXT TakeOver, War Games, Survivor Series, and uh, and the and and uh, Monday Night Raw. Oh yeah, I, I forgot. I don't watch Raw anymore, so I really don't care. Uh, <laughs> so I, I remember uh, Ricky actually messaging me, asking me, "Well, what are some places that you know you would recommend you know going?" And honestly, the first place that kind of came to mind was uh, the Bean, which is like this giant metal. It is like a giant metal bean that you just go right into a park area, and it's just absolutely great. Uh, they have some great comic book stores that are there. They have some great diners. Uh, I don't think I had them uh, try out a deep dish pizza. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't know. I don't know if I was they looking. They did get one. They'd, oh, they did get one? Yes! From the, uh, I can't think of the name of the place, but it's a place when I visit Chicago in the future, because it's going to happen. Does, uh, it, does it start with a G? It starts with a G. Giordano's, yes, yes. Thank you. And I don't know if they, they didn't, but because of damn Gabriel Iglesias, I want a chocolate cake shake from Portillo's. <laughs> oh, damn it, that was another one I should have said. Oh, man. But, um, Ricky would have ate that shit up, man. <laughs> oh, man. From what I heard, they definitely had... A wonderful time, and from what King Ricky said, he definitely is looking forward to going back again. So, who knows? Maybe we're going to get WrestleAttic Radio back together again for another big Chicago deal, or maybe it'll be for you know, maybe it'll be for a AEW show. Maybe it will be for another WWE show. Who knows at this point? Um, I'm looking forward to it, but I did say that I would also try to make it for another show out east. So, I know that one of my one of my friends on Twitter, uh, I believe her name is. uh, it's either Marie or Maria. She uh, and I have this deal where we would go to an... If AEW does come back to the to the Baltimore area, or at least the Northeast area, I've already said to her, you know what, we're going to have to go to a show, show together. And I said that I will literally be her camera guy the day, the day that she meets MJF. Because I honestly thought, you know what, that's all worth it for me. If you haven't gotten a chance to check out her stuff, it's awesome. Uh, I will definitely tag her in this uh, in the in the show description as well as on the Twitter feed, so you can kind of check out how she only had like half 
of a picture with MJF where it's literally like his face is just cut in half because she paid for half off on the <laughs> deal. What a dick. Oh, man. Is that, Marie, is that um, Marie screaming in Quebec? Is that her no. screen name? No, I, I think... Okay, I, think, I, think I, know, I know a few of them. I, it, might, it might be uh, Marie, it's either Maria Rose or Maria Rose. I don't know, but I'm not gonna look it up right now. No disrespect to her. It's just we're do, we're doing a show here, and we got quite a bit to discuss, including talking about uh, XT War XT Takeover War Games. Nate. Yes. It's War Games. Ah, uh, you're right. You are right. XT Takeover War Games. Because William Regal's the only one that knows how to do it right. So. Honestly, this was a pretty fantastic event. Uh, both war games were just absolutely amazing. It kicked off with the uh, women's war game matchup, Team Ripley versus P- Team Baszler. Uh, Baszler got the upper hand advantage, so it was kind of one of those situations where it was uh, it was Candice LeRae and Io Shirai starting off, which I was kind of shocked by that. I thought they would have prolonged that a little bit, but nope, they decided not to do that. Uh, then Bianca came out, and then uh, Rhea Ripley came out. Then Kaylee Ray, the uh, UK, the NXT UK Women's Champion, came out. Then out came Dakota Kai, who decides, nope, kicks Tegan Knox in the face, beats down, uh, not even beats down, just destroys Tegan Knox's leg, like li- like literally, you know, just. Beats down on it. She uses the cage door. She's doing leg submission. She's literally... It looks like she's literally trying to tear it off of its... Off the muscle. It is that brutal of an attack. People are just you know, screaming, Yes, it's crazy. It's awesome. And there are people saying like, Oh, I saw it coming a mile away. But you know something? You were still reacting the same way that everybody else did. So shut up. Uh, this was kind of one of those moments where I'm like, Oh, wow. She's literally trying to kill Tegan Knox. Tegan Knox, who literally has had two knee injuries because of the, during the Mae Young Classics. Leave the poor woman alone, damn it. I know people are happy to see Dakota Kai turn heel, but at the same time, Tegan, Tegan is an amazing woman. She is literally like somebody I would want to consider to be a bestie. And I really see so much great things going for her in the future. I just really don't want to see her die. Um, Shayna Baszler would come out last. Just a lot of brutality. I remember there was one spot where uh, Shayna Baszler was trying to handcuff uh, Rhea Ripley, I think, to the ropes or something like that, and then it just backfires on her. Uh, she They end up getting handcuffed to each other, and Shayna realizes that, and she's like, oh, crap. <laughs> so Rhea is literally like, I'm going to kill you. So we just see that. Um, Io Shirai, my God, the second... Scariest spot of the night. Um, with that moonsault off the top of the cage to, uh, I think it was to Candice and as well as, uh, it was either Kaylee or Bianca, I don't know. But everybody. It was basically everybody, okay. Um, but Rhea Ripley would hit the riptide on Shayna Baszler on top of the chairs and pin her one, two, three, giving Rhea Ripley the vic- and Candice Array the victory. Honestly, an amazing way to start off the first matchup. And what... Oh, gosh. I This is going to be, like, a very tough matchup to choose between which women's match was more brutal between this matchup and the Hell in the Cell match between Becky and Sasha. That's that's a toughie because 
I mean, there's more women involved here, which means more casualties. But, God, Becky and Sasha literally just tried to kill each other in that cell. It's tough to choose between those two. It is, and if I can add another one. Well, if you're talking about this year, then yes. But the street fight with Becky and Charlotte at Evolution last year was, I think, oh, just about yeah, the last brutal. Oh, yeah, the last woman standing, that's right. Oh, my God. That was so good. Uh, I, I know, like, uh, pre-show doesn't count, but I, I'm becoming a big fan of Angel Garza. I, I, I love how his pants are being part of the gimmick. Like, he'll... And he does something wacky with his tearaway pants. I mean, these, these are the same kind of things I used to wear in high school. And I'd walk past a guy in the hallway, and he would rip them right off. And so I'm running across uh, my high school in my boxer shorts. Um, yeah, the, the women's war games match was just absolutely unreal. I'm one of the people who kind of saw the Dakota Kai heel turn coming. Like, when she was denied that spot, and Rhea was just like, you know what, you don't have it. I called it then. I knew somehow I thought it was going to happen, but like that. Uh, Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, at least in my mind, went from who the hell are you to I'm completely invested in this feud. I didn't really know uh, either of these women. I didn't watch the... I watched the first Mayon clap. There, there was two, right? Yes, there have been two. Yes. Yeah, the, the first one was Kari Sane and Shayna Baszler, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I, I didn't watch this one at all. I'm, I'm have to have to go back and watch it because it had it had like it, it had Ripley and it had um no wait Ripley was UK no she was in both anyways um just moving on here I, I knew about the injuries and all that so a lot of people are calling this the female version of the DIY feud which oh, yeah. I can I can absolutely see uh, I'm. I'm finally starting to come around a little bit on uh, Bianca Belair after this match. Like, I still hate, uh, there goes my mic, I hate the whipping hair thing still. Uh, I think it's absolutely stupid. I want to see someone just cut that off as a big heel move. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Phil. I'm so sorry. Um, But she was... What are the MVPs in this match? Like, that 450 with the chairs with oh, her was yeah. crazy. And I love the KOD. I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give her this. I love the KOD. She's absolutely powerful. And on the plus side with the hair thing, I haven't seen it in a while. So she's not overusing that in her gimmick. Like, her gimmick isn't whipping hair anymore. Her gimmick is a heel badass bitch who will bring out the hair thing once in a while. Unless she starts putting, like, the cat of nine tails or, like, the... If you've ever seen any of the Passion of the Christ or Jesus oh, God, movies, yeah. like, the one that had the, the little cat of nine tails, the little spikes mm-hmm. on the end of the whip, do that, and there's barbed wire. Oh, barbed wire, the extreme match. Go, oh, Bianca. I know you're not hearing this, but someone tell her to do it. <laughs> uh, I thought it was brutal. Um... Io Shirai is fucking insane. Uh, she almost dies with that with that moonsault. Uh, I'm a little disappointed we get, we didn't get to see Mia Yim in this match, but I know that you know Dakota Kai did this, and you know it's it's just more part of the Tegan Knox feud. Uh, Candice LeRae 
absolutely killed this match. All these women did. And Rhea Ripley, I've been saying this for a while, but she's the future of this division. I can see her performing at WrestleMania next year. Although I think her title win is going to be saved for that takeover. If not, maybe on TV in a couple of weeks. Uh, let's see, there's a really, the really wicked Tower of Doom spot in here. I'm just trying to go through to see if I can remember anything else from this match. The heel, the heel turn was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. It was well done. Although I, I, I quote-unquote, saw it coming, I didn't see it coming then when Dakota Kai was coming out. It's like, okay, here I come, boom, just destroyed. I love the Riptide as a finisher. I love that submission move that Ray Ripley does. I don't know what it's called, but it's that elevated reverse quote oh, where she picks yeah, up yeah. the woman and just holds her there. Like That is power. I mean, Trish Stratus put her over and said she's the future. Like, this is Rus- like WrestleMania, like 30, so what's next year, 6? Yeah, I'm turning, I'm turning 36, so it's WrestleMania 36. I'm WrestleMania years old. <laughs> but, yeah, WrestleMania 37, title match versus Becky Lynch or Sasha Banks or something, get in. Yeah. No, I'd be totally invested in that. Uh, the next matchup here was the triple threat matchup for the number one contendership for the NXT Championship. These guys put a hell of a matchup. Pete Dunne, Damian Priest, Killian Dane. I asked, uh, I think I think it was Kelsey I was asking her, because she was so high on Damian Priest, and understandably so. Um, during this matchup, I'm watching Damian Priest, and I'm like, so is he kind of like, you know, this version's uh, Scott Hall, but without, you know, the razor blade, blade trunks and stuff like that? Because I see him doing, you know, like the choke slam, and he's doing the razor's edge, which, again, they're protecting that move. Thank God I'm okay with this. That's the one move that I think that should be protected because so many other moves are not being protected nowadays. Make that the move right now that's like, you hit that, boom, automatic winner. Um... It's just absolutely insane seeing these three just literally try to just kill each other. Uh, Pete Dunn, of course, doing you know his tra- trying to break the fingers, and he's of course trying to do what he can. He lives freaking killing Dane for a bitter end. My God, does this guy have a lot of strength? Um, the finish I thought was just a shock because I think a lot of people knew that Pete Dunn was going over. But I don't think they were expecting him to get o- go over like this. So, uh, if I remember correctly, I think uh, Killian Day was going for his, uh, his version of like the one-winged angel deal. Pete Dunn's able to slide down. He's grabbing uh, Killian into like a sleeper hold or something like that. Killian Day sees Damien Priest and he's just like, okay, double trouble. So he's basically doing like his whole senton deal. Uh, Pete Dunn's able to do the situation where he... Hits Damian Priest, but somehow he was able to not take so much of the brunt because he was able to go from that spot, knocks Killian Dane out of the ring, covers Damian Priest for the victory. It was one of those things that that shocked me, and I absolutely liked it. I thought to my, I thought okay, this is kind of smart. He used Killian Dane's you know intelligence against him, and he found a way to sneak the victory in. I thought that was great. Uh, 
Some people have been saying this is probably like the best triple threat matchup of the year. I think that this is definitely very high up there with one of the best. Uh, these two just kept going, three, I'm sorry, kept going and going and going. This is a long match. And, you know, CBS Sports here is saying, like, they could have benefited from a little bit of trimming of time, but, uh, no, it, 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 you didn't know when it was going to end, and I thought that was the point, and that was great. You know, that spot with the uh, the bitter end, and then I think there was, like, a, yeah, Priest had the bitter end, and then there was a sleeper on Dane. Dane attempted to fall backwards with the senton with Dunn still on his back. And that's, yeah, there you go. That that was your finish. And just the Michinoku driver, the Razor's Edge. the I, In the 2K games, Dane, uh, Killian Dane's finisher is called the Ulster Plantation. And I think that has something to do with oh, where he's yeah. from in, in, in Ireland. Uh, oh, my goodness, like these... These three, on paper, if you, if you look at these three, you, you get a big, tall bloke, Damian Priest. Kind of funny that you mentioned the uh, the Razor's Edge and all that. Uh, Damian Priest's attire just was, like, resembling the Outsiders, even with um, Nigel, Nigel Romaro. They were even referencing that on commentary. That he had, like, the, uh, the blood-dripping vest and Kevin Nash's... Uh, leather pants and you know Damian Priest reminds me of a of a young but talented Kevin Nash and a little bit of Scott Hall in there too uh, he had a big tall guy a smaller brawler type wrestler with Pete Dunne and a chubby looking guy with Killian Day and he figured how can these three guys have amazing chemistry like just on the surface looking at him then you see them go like Killian Dane, big demo I've been watching him since he was in uh, What Culture Pro Wrestling. The guy can go. Like, absolutely. Damian Priest, uh, punishment. He was punishment, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, pun- yeah. I, someone I'm not familiar with at all. Like, the first time I saw him was the zero-hour Battle Royal at All In last year. And the things he, the things that him and uh, uh, Rorty guy from Impact, Cage... We're doing him that match were redonkulous. And I knew once the WWE signed him that that, that guy is this Vince McMahon's wet dream. He, he's going to be huge. Uh, cannonballs, Razor's Edges, Pete Dunne just outmatching and outwrestling both of them. It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, next matchup was Finn Balor taking on Matt Riddle. I'm not going to lie. Out of all the matches here that, you know, when, when it came down to it, this was one I was the least looking forward to. And unfortunately, the reason why was because that they had to pull Johnny Gargano out of it. And I don't know what the uh, full story is of it, but I believe that Johnny is working a bit with an injury. There is rumors going around that it might possibly be a neck injury, which is very scary to hear because we already just had somebody have a neck injury and was out for a while and we don't want that to happen again uh, so let's just hope that it's not that serious let's just hope that it's nothing like that fingers crossed um, but yeah they announced that he would be facing off against Matt Riddle uh, nothing against nothing against the original bro and everybody else I get it you guys are big marks of the, of the deal but this was just one of those matches that I was not 
really looking forward to it. And even during the matchup, I was just kind of like, it's, it's, it's okay. It's Again, it was one of those situations where I was so looking forward to, you know, Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano, but this just felt like, um, it felt like Andrade versus Bobby Roode at TakeOver New York 2? It was either the second one or it was the first one. No, it was the second one. Um, where you know that they're going to play on a, a good match, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's got to be something to keep the interest in there. Uh, the main thing that stuck out to me during this matchup was Matt Riddle doing the spear and the jackhammer, and people are just going, Goldberg. Riddle. Yeah, Riddle. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. Other than that, you know, like the, the call to Goldberg, maybe they're setting up Goldberg versus Riddle at Mania. Who knows? Um, Balor won with the 1916. Other than that, for me, this was a matchup that I did not have too much interest in. I loved this match, man. Uh, Riddle, uh, uh, thank you, Ant, for getting me into Matt Riddle. Uh, I think, I, as I said, I'm just, I, I was looking back on when I saw all these guys the first time, and I think this one was one of the Joy Janela GCW shows, which were just that shit crazy. Like, Virgil turned out in one of them dressed up as Starman from Wrestling for the Nest. There's all kinds of drugs going on there, and I want them. Just kidding, I don't. Uh, <laughs> Riddle, for what we had as a last-minute substitute, like, Finn Balor and Matt Riddle put on a phenomenal... I'm using that word again. I gotta, find, I gotta work on my adjectives. Here was the adjective, Kevin Nash, if you know what that reference is. Uh, Riddle and Balor just... Starting off with their mat-based attacks, like using you know Riddle's um, Ultimate Fighter uh, background, uh, Finn Balor. You know, of course, he was learning, I think, in the dojos in Japan. So, you know, he knows his way around a shoot fight. I I love Riddle doing the whole Goldberg thing, just having a little wink at him. And if you saw his, uh, I think it was his twenty-four when he met Goldberg backstage at SummerSlam, yeah. the whole "I'm not your bro." Hey, we got some talking to do, bro. Yeah, okay, I and mean, it's just like back and forth. It reminded me of the of the whole the Abbott Costello, who's on first. It was, yeah, I love the, the, once we saw the bro to sleep, oh, the CM Punk marks wouldn't shut up. Uh, we, we'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll hear a bunch of that during Survivor Series is, now that Punk's back on Fox, oh, and Seth Rollins talked about him on Raw, even though Vince McMahon was furious about it, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're still not going to hear it until we, he comes in the ring, which I want to see. I'll, I'll admit here. Uh, but, you know, Ricky is our resident Mark Slayer, so I'm just going to quit while I'm ahead there. I'm not going to steal his gimmick, too. <laughs> We've already stole the watch along, which we're doing in the new year, so I don't need to <laughs> piss everyone off. Right. But, yeah, we had the bro to sleep. We had, you know, the floating bro, uh, bro mission attempt, and riddle, you know, I love that Balor's using like a quote unquote heel finisher. Like nineteen sixteen he only broke out like once in the WWE. And uh, there, there was another and this is like his old one of his old Japan finishers, and I'm gonna get into a speaking of a Japan finisher that was teased, or a not a Japan finisher, but more of a Ring of Honor finisher that was teased. We'll talk about that in a minute. I thought they put on a great match for you know what it was for what we saw with Johnny going down. I think Johnny Johnny and Balor will have a match 
I'll say January because I know Worlds Collide is happening. There's TV. They'll have a match on TV. Like just t- just tonight on NXT, as 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 we were starting to get ready to record, uh, Balor had a really good match with uh, Champa. So yeah, I'll need to DIY, watch that. The DIY connection. Whew, yes, please and thank you. Um, so the main event was the men's war game matchup: Team Champa versus Team Undisputed Era. Uh, Champa, of course, leading the fray with Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic, uh, and they had to find a final person, and that person turned out to be Kevin Owens. That was a bit of a shock. A lot of people were probably thinking like Johnny Gargano, or I was thinking, I called it last week. I thought it was going to be John Morrison. Um, now looking back at it. I can understand probably why they wouldn't have done that because in order for most of these things to work, they need to have like some kind of plan. But in all honesty, I was kind of thinking like, well, what would Johnny do? What would Johnny Impact do? Uh, he could challenge, you know, either Adam Cole or he could challenge Roderick Strong for their championships. Honestly, John John Morrison versus Roderick Strong sounds like an amazing matchup. I would also love to kind of see how he would be able to use his parkour background to, you know, get out of certain moves that uh, Roderick Strong would do. I think there's just a lot of potential with that. But we'll see come probably 2020 if he shows up for that. I mean, there's still one month left, so, I mean, these things could happen. Uh, Yeah, this was a really very physical, very brutal matchup. I mean, my God. They utilized tables, they utilized weapons, it was just absolutely insane. Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakov, oh my gosh. This was just the beginning of their rise to superstardom, especially for Keith Lee. We talked about Rhea Ripley, we talked about Rhea Ripley a lot. Uh, Keith Lee was definitely the second guy, the second person in NXT to shine this weekend. Uh... Yeah, you're doing the whole, oh, bask in the glory. That is literally it. He is a big man, and he was the highlight in NXT this past weekend, Uh, other than one spot in particular, which we're getting to that. Uh, Kevin Owens, he definitely played, I I will say this, with him coming out and Adam Cole just having that look of just utter shock, so many people that were Ring of Honor marks are just like, oh my god, we get to see Cole and, oh, and Steen again, we get to see this happen, and blah, blah, blah. And I think I remember just playing off of that, where somebody had a caption, I think it was like the gif of Kevin Owens coming out, and Adam Cole's look of shock, and he just said, caption this. And <laughs> I think my caption was, and I, and I quote, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to make sure I don't die like I almost did in Ring of Honor, aren't I? <laughs> just... It's just one of those things where it's like Steen is one of those guys who just would want to kill people. Kevin Owens, maybe he's kind of like he's kind of like you know he's kind of like he's kind of like the woken to the broken where it's like you know it'll work, but you know that when it gets on the independent seat, it's just so much better. Uh, and yes, I know Matt Hardy was on Monday Night Raw this past week, which he did nothing. Anyway, um, like I said, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Dominic Dijakovic and Keith Lee again, just absolutely killing it. Uh, that power bomb through the table by Keith Lee, a frog splash by Kevin Owens. That 
were just the preliminaries. That was just kind of like the warm-ups. Because the main course, and what literally probably set so many people over the edge, so many people, including AEW star Britt Baker, who was in attendance during that time, which I literally thought was amazing. And I'm not going to look at it as a situation where WWE is trying to throw ill will at AEW because it's one of those things where they don't think AEW is competition anyway, so why not? Um, that spot with Tommaso Ciampa and Adam Cole at the top of the cage, not at the top turnbuckle, at the top of the cage. So that's like about 20, 30 feet up in the air. Tommaso Ciampa, who came back from a neck surgery, he does the air raid crash on Adam Cole from the top of the cage on two tables. Not stacked tables, just one table, two tables right next to each other. Boom, they hit the tables. I literally looked at that and I thought to myself, how is Adam Cole going to survive this? Literally, it was just boom, spot's been done, one Two, three, Tommaso Ciampa, team wins. And they sold that like no one else could sell it. They're literally just lying there for at least maybe three to five minutes. Almost as a moment where it's just like soak in the fact that people have just saw this. Soak in the fact that we did this. And soak in the fact that it's going to stay on the test of time. And they literally showed that replay so many times, no matter what angle you had. It was one of those moments where it's like, try to fake that, MNFers. Try to fake that. Holy shit. That air raid crash. Uh, I don't know if that's ballsy or if it's stupid. But that spot was wild, and just Keith Lee with his, like, I just love how he, he'll just push a guy with, like, the Monty Python pounce, and Adam Cole will just fly like he's selling death. Like, he did, Keith Lee did that tonight on NXT. It was like, uh, they're, they're in the main, during the, um, the main event, uh, Adam Cole tried to interfere, and Keith Lee uh, pushed uh, Adam Cole just, through the barricade on on the on the left part on the left part of the ramp and into a bunch of plants, just just death. And as soon as I saw, you know, like oh, Baskin King Ricky, because I, I still think that uh, King Ricky and uh, the, the 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 new glorious one, Keith Lee himself, are the same person. Like Keith Lee is the fiend. Of King Ricky, uh, prove prove me wrong, Ricky. Prove me wrong. Uh, just just him and Dijak. I mean, them as a tag team tonight. They worked so fluidly, and you know, spoiler alert: they did not win the tag titles. But I could see them having a run, and then like King Rick. My God, I'm going to keep calling them that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ricky. No, I'm not. Um, uh, Keith Lee, like his facials, like his pissed off face, like even when we saw like his angry face at Survivor Series, I'm like, I instantly thought, I looked at that guy and I'm like, 
that guy can be a main event heel. Like he can he can use the bask in his glory thing, but that can be a big time heel gimmick like, you know, the glorious Bobby Roode. And you know, Vince McMahon loves him. So you know, if Vince McMahon thinks highly of you and loves you, well, at least this week, um, knock on wood that it's gonna last with him. Uh, I, I'm just going to skip forward to uh, when we get to Survivor Street just for a second, but you get the whole Roman Reigns and Keith Lee bit. That's a main event feud. That's like this time next year at Survivor Series for the Universal title is something I can abs- pardon me again, I can absolutely see. Uh, this match was just non-stop violence and I loved that Ke- like, once Kevin Owens you saw that he was teasing a package pile driver, didn't you? I did. I loved it. I, I left from my my recliner. I, I, I was praying that we'd see it. Uh, I kind of thought we wouldn't, but he just he just planted the seed just a little bit. It was like in the in the first match with. Uh, oh, I love Kaylee Ray. I mean, she's another person who went from "Who the hell are you?" to "I love you" in the course of the match is I did see her a bit I don't watch UK straight up like I used to but then I just I fell off because well now we have AEW and we have power so something falls through the cracks Uh, but Kaylee I I saw the match when Kaylee Ray won the women's title from Tony and just her, her spot when she was going under the ring and bringing everything out she teased the table and puts it back the crowd she tweets after I don't give a shit about what you want (laughs) oh I love you 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 but it's too bad that Piper Niven is going to destroy her and win the women's title at Blackpool next year Uh, calling it here Uh, what else was there but who who, someone in the match in in this match just because Kaylee Ray denied the tables uh, somebody I think it was Champa just brought out like 10 tables from under the ring. Just like, you get a table, you get a table, you get a table. And, yeah, everyone just got the living crap kicked out of them. I loved, loved Champa's, uh, like, Vega, or I don't know if he was going for Vega from Street Fighter or Casey Jones from Ninja, Ninja Turtles Mask. That was sick. And his, uh, like, uh, Powers of Pain or Road Warriors or whatever face paint he was wearing. Uh, just unreal, and in his, he had a bit on the net, on the WWE PC channel this week. It was just about him bringing his daughter to her first takeover, and it's just a uh, right, right on the heartstrings, right there. You know his uh, his uh, his sweet wife and his uh, little cute daughter, and you know Mrs. Champa's wearing um, Tommaso's uh, camo pants and black shirt. And you see little Willow in, the, in a little tiny uh, No One Will Survive shirt just running around backstage and interacting with all the wrestlers. It was really cute. Reminded me of when my niece was that small. And she just, uh, and my nephew actually, you know, you know, little David just turned five. So I can remember when he was just that teeny tiny uh, running around the store. It was really cute. Uh, losing my training, and I just lost my. Uh, <clears throat> thing with the phone here just to see if there's any other spots to go through it uh kevin owens i mean that got the pop of the night and i was looking back on my predictions and i think i don't know listen to last week's episode 
I pulled KOB in the fourth man, so I think you did. Boom. Yeah. I, I think I did. Like, it was the only one I think in my mind that made sense. And I know you didn't watch Raw, but looking back on that now, it made sense for Seth Rollins' uh, change of character. I, I recommend you watching his promo. It was actually really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just opens the show and just shits on everybody. He's standing in the ring and it's like that. Uh, Oh, Simpsons wrestling memes had had it way better. I I, I forget which rap. I'll, I'll look. I'll look when we go on the break here. But just Seth is like, you know, you sucked and you sucked and you sucked, and everyone just walks away from him just quietly. It, it was like that time the Rock staged the walk off until Mick Foley got reinstated to do the Cactus Jack street fight, which I'm reviewing in the new year. I can't wait. Nice. Um, yeah, he's like, y'all, where you're all going? Kevin Owens comes in the ring, says nothing, boom, stunner. Sets up the main event. And, yeah, so Seth sets a heel. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert. On to War Games. These War Games matches and these takeovers just have this ridiculous habit of trying to outdo and outperform the one before it. Like, what have we said for years, which is the greatest takeover of all time? New Orleans. And then War Games happened. And then War Games 2 happened. And then War Games 3 happened. And then the one that we didn't think was going to be that good, but it surprised the hell out of us in Hartford before Money in the Bank. That one was great. Toronto was all right. But how how do you keep doing this, NXT? Triple H, you're a friggin' genius. Uh, Undisputed Era lost their first War Games match. I mean, the past two, they've dominated so, you know, maybe we're starting to see a little bit of the crumbling of the era. At least crumbling in a sense of them losing their gold. Because Tampa Cole, take over Tampa. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Although we would have to also see what they would have. Well, maybe they'll do something where it's Strong versus Champa at uh, Portland, which is the next takeover show. And then that kind of carries over into uh, Tampa, which, honestly, I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with them, you know, having him basically go through each and every single member of Undisputed Era and then, you know, move on from there to uh, Cole at uh, TakeOver Tampa, as you mentioned. So I'm just going to give, like, quick analysis, stuff like that through Survivor Series. I'm not going to go too deep into some of these matches. Um... Uh, pre-show for Survivor Series, as <laughs> as Kale likes to call him, Team Rudolph picked up victory in the interbrand uh, tag team battle royal. Leo Rush retains his cruiserweight title in a triple threat match. The Viking Raiders picked up a victory in the uh, triple threat uh, match of champions match, which tied up all three brands. For those of you that are keeping track, uh, we had Team NXT pick up an amazing uh, victory. Uh, actually, the women's division, uh, Team NXT, picked up a victory to start off the show. Pretty good matchup. Uh, I honestly thought that Io Shirai and Candice Array were going to be out for like the entire deal, but nope, they were difference maker at the end, and Rhea Ripley pins Sasha Banks at the final one, which was awesome. Uh, Roderick Strong picks up an upset victory by defeating AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura in that triple threat match. That was great. Uh, a battered Pete Dunne and Adam Cole still steal the show uh, for the NXT Championship, but Adam Cole, baby, 
uh, had this amazing counter from the bitter end into the Panama Sunrise and then to hit the knee to the face. One, two, three, that's it. Uh, the Fiend, Daniel Bryan, still a pretty good matchup. Uh, I think people still hate the whole red lighting deal and I can't really blame them. Fiend picks up the victory. Is it really a shock there? No. Uh, probably match of the night, that being the tag team match, uh, five on five, me- five men's match, up in which during this deal, we saw Matt Riddle pin Bear, pin Randy Orton, which was amazing, which could also set up Riddle versus Orton for WrestleMania. Never know. Uh, Drew McIntyre pinned Walter. It's like, Drew, I love you, but at the same time, I hate you at this very moment. Um, and then the final two for this was Keith Lee and Roman Reigns. Threats uh, kind of hit on the fact that these two just really killed it, and this could be a WrestleMania matchup just waiting to happen. Um, I definitely do agree with that. It's just absolutely fantastic. But Roman Reigns picked up the victory hitting the spear on Keith Lee, who sold the hell out of it. That was great. Uh, and then they showed a nice little show of respect between the two of them. They did like a little fist bump deal. That was great. That was kind of one of those things where it's like, hey, you're going to do really good in this business, kid. That was awesome. Uh, Brock Lesnar taking on Rey Mysterio in a no-holds-barred deal, and that was honestly probably my highlight of the night, seeing, <laughs> seeing Brock Lesnar almost kill Rey Mysterio. Out comes Dominic, who looks like he's going to throw in the towel. Ray does a low blow. Then Dominic hits a low blow. They hit a dual 619, two frog splashes, one, two. Brock kicks out. Brock is able to fight back, and then he hits the F5. Beats Ray Mysterio. Just for those moments, just that dual 619 and those two frog splashes hit by Dominic and Ray Mysterio, respectively. That was just great. That was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then we had the main event matchup, which at this point people were very burnt out. The women, they did the best that they could. I think that this was a bit underwhelming, and I know a lot of people were very disappointed about this matchup. But Baszler, Lynch, Bailey, they gave it their all, and I give them props for doing what they can. Uh, in the end, Bailey got choked out by Baszler, and we also saw Becky Lynch beat down on Baszler, so it looks like there's not a feud with them is going to continue. Possibly to WrestleMania. If if Ronda Rousey's not coming back, it might be Shayna Baszler versus Becky Lynch. I mean, who knows? All in all, uh, the show for Survivor Series was pretty good. I think that, in all honesty, this might be their best show of the year. Some people might say WrestleMania, some people might say Royal Rumble, some might say SummerSlam. Uh, I think when it comes to, like, standout matches, I think I would say that Survivor Series definitely really was a staple for that. So that's kind of like my short-end review of it. So, Mr. Fretz, if you want to put it, insert your thoughts as well as other things that you would like to put into the Survivor Series for this year, what, did your, what were your overall thoughts? Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, I, I got home just in time for the show, well, the women's mat, the women's Survivor Series match to start, so I got off to a great start there. Uh, Rhea Ripley, I think, is the MVP of the whole weekend. Uh, Roddy, Roddy Strong is uh, so... I, I've been saying it since he was in Ring of Honor. Like, I've been watching him for 15 years. He is amazing. 
Uh, and I love that uh, uh, Jerry Lawler was really given out during this match. Uh, and also, uh, frig off Jerry Lawler for being on this card. I love him, but my my goodness. I mean, uh, I'm going to have a controversial take here. Adam Cole shouldn't have wrestled Sunday night for a couple of reasons. Well, I think it's mostly to do with the bump that he took on Saturday. On Saturday, not for the whole riskiness of it, and his po- he was probably hurt, but for selling. I mean, he took a twenty-foot air raid siren through a table, which. Normally, this is something that you'd think would write, like, quote-unquote, write off a character. So, let's just say Pete Dunne qualifies for this match, and then you get something to do with, like, oh, William Regal comes out, oh, yeah, Adam Cole can't hurt, uh, blah, 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 he'll heat, and this is when you would bring in, I know he would have been doing double duty, but you would have brought in a guy like Walter or, oh, Ilya Dragunov. You bring in a guy like him to put on a match. Oh, screw Dragunov versus Dunn. I want Dragunov versus Dajakovic. And I want it at Worlds Collide. And I'm crossing my fingers that we actually get it. Uh, Cole and Dunn, like, I thought they stole the show. Uh, they could have stole the weekend had it not been for the War Games matches. That friggin' pile drive, that... That Canadian, I'm calling it the by by law up here. I'm calling it the Canadian destroyer. Okay. But that counter with out out of the bitter end into the destroyer was crisp, clean, and a thing of beauty. And I'll I'll just, I'll just say it, the Panama Sunrise should be his finisher. Uh, the the fact that a pile like a flipping pile driver is used as a setup move for a kick. I love Adam Cole to death, but pick one, bro. The fiend and Daniel Bryan was way better than it had every right to be. I'm coming around on the red lights because I this is it's part of the Fiend's gimmick, and I also think like the red light is his um, dimension, or you know, dare I use this term, his safe space, if you will, from his psyche. And uh, tomorrow night on SmackDown, we're getting like a new character in the Firefly Funhouse, and a lot of people are speculating that it's Liv Morgan. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it. And Fiend was starting to get a little bit of booze in this match because we started to see a little bit of a return of the yes movement. Like, Daniel Bryan was denied the yeses a few times, and he denied using them himself. But if anyone can make Bray Wyatt over as a heel, like the Fiend, the coolest gimmick of the year, the coolest thing to happen WWE and. 10 years if anyone can make that a heel it's Brian and I love that he's doing that it makes me love Brian it makes me love Fiend even more but but, uh, what we got the men's Survivor Series elimination was a total Kong show just it was really quick the spirit bomb that Seth I think Seth Rollins took a spirit bomb or whoever took that move saw it like death and uh, Randy Orton you know he put he gave uh, Matt Riddle a rub, which I really appreciated. I really liked. Uh, Riddle had an, had a YouTube PC thing himself, but him talking about it and how surprised he was with Randy Orton. Maybe that's a mania payoff. Uh, Baron Corbin 
what an absolute dickhead. <laughs> Just making me love and hate him even more. Uh, just everything that he was doing. I was absolutely livid when Walter was eliminated right away, but Walter versus McIntyre, <coughs> please, please. <laughs> Lesnar and Rey Mysterio was better than it had every right to be. Like The past few defenses that Brock Lesnar has had, and I'm looking at ones against guys like uh, Finn Balor and him selling the stomach and the commentators putting over his diverticulitis and, oh, this injury, this divide, this past with him and his diverticulitis and his guts, uh, this will play a role. And then Rey Mysterio uh, committing a felony with a lead pipe in his kid. It was so wholesome. It was so wholesome to see little Dominic pay tribute to his father with a frog splash. Uh, and then the the women's match, I wanted to love it. The crowd wasn't what wasn't, wasn't all for it. I was dead by this point in the night. Uh, but Shayna Baszler killed. I would have loved to see Bailey get a sneaky win here, like uh, Baszler gets you know Becky Lynch with a big knee to the face. Bailey pushes her out of the ring and sneaks the victory. But that's just me. Uh, I would have I would have had Rousey. A, appear here in return that would have been awesome but such is life I thought this was the best pay-per-view of the year from WWE no definitely going to get an argument from me here so guys we're going to take another quick commercial break we come back it's retro time it's fun time time to talk about 1990 hi I'm Nate the effing great you know what's really fun you guys is just spending some time creating wrestling moments whether it's being in the crowd, cutting promos, or just really kind of beating each other up with a chair or a trash can. Well, let's just say that there's a safer way to doing that without using an actual chair or a trash can. Go over to Great Minds Revolution Incorporated. My buddy Kurt has actually created a very safe and fun way to be a wrestling fan without the necessary lawsuits of basically beating each other up with real stuff. He has an inflatable chair that is really fun to just whack around, and it could also double as a little float floaty for a pool. He also has the inflatable trash can, which, you guys, is really awesome because, let's say, maybe you don't want to use it for wrestling matches. You could use it at your barbecue, your next big tailgate party, whatever you could think of. Great Minds Revolution, Inc. They do a great job on making wrestling fun again. Proud friends of the Game Changer Podcast. Hey everyone, it's the Princess of Pro Wrestling, so Calval. You are listening to the Game Changer Podcast. Sending lots of love from California. Glitter, glitz, sparkle, bliss. You know, I don't know if she listens to the show as much as I think she does, but if Val were to hear that soundbite followed up with this theme music, I'm pretty sure that she'd probably have my head. I, I'm i just saying. I know I'm going to have her on the show uh, later on during the month, so we'll wait and see. So guys, welcome back to the Game Changer Podcast. I'm Nate the Effing Great, joined here by Mr. Fretz. It's time to go retro because 
It's time for us to talk about the 1990 Survivor Series, and we got quite a bit of a show to talk about, but before we do that, it's that time, it's that time again, to go way, way back in the way back time machine with Mr. Fritz. It's a work in progress song, just sue me. I'm talking, just put in the whole Wayne's World, like, or even better, the Back to the oh, Future. But OSW does that when they transition, so let's let's not get, get yeah. sued by Jay, Jay Hunter. We like to be original. We like to be original. That's why we rip off everybody else's shit. <laughs> well, who doesn't rip off every other shit? I mean, that's why, you know, we do watch-alongs. Cultaholic does watch-alongs. Fourth, well, anyways, um, so 1990, uh, Mr. Fretz is in first grade. Mr. Fretz lost his first tooth. And I, for some reason, I seem to remember around this time of year, around Christmas time in 1990, having a fever of 40 Celsius. And I think that's about 103 Fahrenheit uh, for you fans of, uh, I think it's Foreigner. You know, I'm hot-blooded. Check it and see. I got a fever of 103 I had a fever that high, and I remember watching the Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas special with the Golden Echo Harmonica, tearjerker, sad, by the way, and I remember waking up in the hospital. So I was, yeah, I wasn't doing well. Alvin! (laughs) And then, oh, man, when we get closer to Christmas, I'm definitely going to break out into some Alvin and the Chipmunks here. But I got something else Christmas related to talk about, so... Uh, I, don't, I think this is about the year you were born, right, Nate? Uh, yes, at this point, on November 22nd, 1990, I went from being just a little tiny sperm, in, you know, inside my daddy, to being uh, three months old, I would be at this time. Very, very nice. Uh, that Christmas, I got a, uh, it was a stuffed dog called the Pooch Patrol. Google it, kids. <laughs> I, I still have it. Uh, but I believe it is at it is with my nephew. So I have some crazy movies and video games and eh, music to go over. So this is a metal cover. So if you will, this movie came out in 1990. Actually, it was like it was uh, tw- it was um, this week in 1990. Really. It's a damn good movie. It still holds up even to the even to the standard. I'm gonna be watching it soon, but there's many other reasons why this movie holds up for me. Uh, real, I'm gonna have a quick, quick real talk. So I'm not gonna take into this, but today, the 27th, is I somehow remember this as the next two days are weird. Uh, today, nine years ago, was when my most recent relationship ended. November 28th, 2000 is the date my first ever one began. And my most recent girlfriend loved Home Alone. 
and I think we were going to make plans to watch it, but then, you know, I got a, then I got a text dump, and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, that sucked. Um, we also have, uh, or we also have the Jetsons movie, Child's Play 2, Rocky 5, Stephen King's Misery, and Dances with Wolves. Oh my gosh, Tatanka. Uh, almost. Uh, in music, well, we had Mariah Carey. We uh, Love Takes Time. We had Whitney Houston with your baby tonight. <sighs> and. Oh, thank you, too bad. Thank you so much for ruining my show. Oh, here we go. Come on. This song came out. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Seamus and Cesaro did a better one, which was called Ice Ice Shamey. So. <laughs> I forgot about it. Or my, my, my personal favorite is what the beat of that song is from. Pressure! Coming oh. down on me! Well, David Bowie yeah, and, yeah. um... Oh, uh, who the... My God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get killed by the fourth wall guys, because they'll kill me for not knowing this. Okay, let's move on to video. Let's just move on. Um, video games, we have Mega Man 3. Oh, my personal favorite Mega Man game. Uh, everyone just goes on and on about how great uh, Mega Man 2 is. But this game introduced Mega Man to the power slide and a whole bunch of amazing um, robot masters. This is the first Mega Man game that I played. Okay. And it, it was awesome. Uh, if you're a fan of MS-DOS games from back in the day, there was the first Commander Keen. I mean, every console at this point in time had their uh, mascot, for lack of a better term. Like Sega, which was forthcoming, had Sonic the Hedgehog. Nintendo had Mario. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to be getting into uh, Mario here in just a moment. Uh so Commander Keen was the console mascot for the PC. Uh, the Neo Geo console comes out. And another new console uh, came out at this point in time. But in Japan, and this game. In Japan, we saw the launch of the Super Nintendo with two launch titles in Super Mario World and F-Zero. Wow. Nice. And what a time to be a kid, man. Like, th this this is... Unreal. We didn't get the SNES until about mid-1991 in North America, but just... It, it, was, it was so good. I, my, I'm... I am looking in my closet right now, and there's one sitting in my tote. But in my living room, I got my SNES Mini with like a hundred games on it. So, if I want to play some Mario World, which I might have to go do now, yeah. And we are 
I'm just going to say this. We are in the home of a former NHL team tonight, uh, the Hartford Whalers, who moved to Carolina. So Hartford, Connecticut is our is our spot tonight, and I'll let you take it away here in their introduction to Survivor Series 90. Okay, like we said, guys, this is Survivor Series 1990, which took place at Hartford, Connecticut, hit at the Hartford Civic Center, 16,000 in attendance on November 22nd, 1990. Now, one thing you'll definitely notice about this event is that they definitely do talk about the troops overseas, and during this time was Operation uh, Desert Shield, and they definitely do talk about, you know, the men and women who have been sacrificing their lives over there. They also mention, they do a lot of Bush references. I'm talking about President Bush, not not that Bush. Um, and it wasn't until, I think, a few years late, it might have been a few years later or something like that, when they had the Bill Clinton impersonator in there. Maybe it was, wasn't even a Survivor Series. Yeah, it had to have been a Survivor Series that we covered. Um, and I, w- I will also say this. One thing that was actually really funny about the, about this whole entire deal with us reviewing this many Survivor Series deals is that uh, this past week we reviewed Survivor Series 1989 and on Wrestling with Regret, Brian Zane reviewed Survivor Series 2003. So it's kind of one of those things that we were like, huh, well, this has come full circle, hasn't it? But then again, I'm not going to blame the guy. I love Brian Zane's work. I love what he does. And basically his way of telling it is kind of basically a shorter version of how we were putting it. So if you want to hear a shorter version of our show, definitely listen to Brian Zane's show. Otherwise, also listen to a lot of his other stuff. It's absolutely great. Also, God be with you, Brian Zane, as you review Victory Road 2011. Anyway, so... No. Yep, that's, that is going to be an interesting show for him to review. Wait till I tell you what I'm reviewing next. <laughs> so, on a dark matchup, we had Shane Douglas defeating Buddy Rose. Not really too much you can say about that. Um, first matchup that we had are the Warriors taking on the perfect team. Now, usually I like to go into talking about this matchup, but I think I want to mix it up just a little bit. So, Mr. Fretz, why don't you go through what went down during this matchup? Okay. So, we have Mr. Perfect and Demolition. I'm talking Crush, Axe, and Smash. Going up against the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, who was the Intercontinental Champion at the time, but, actually, hang on, the Legion of Doom, and the Ultimate Warrior. Now, I've got a, another quiz question here for you, Nate. Mm-hmm. True or false, at one point in time in his career, Crush was a road warrior. Let's see here. I believe that to be true. Yes. Uh, following the 1992 SummerSlam, uh, Hawk, uh, I think he went MIA. That's right, and yeah. uh, he was unfortunately going through a bunch of substance problems at this time. And on the house, so house, house show circuit, say that five times fast. Uh, Crush was tagging with uh, Animal to to fill in the spot and to write out the rest of their contract because by the end of 1992, a lot of the Hulkamania era roster would look a lot different. Definitely. Uh, yeah, Roddy on commentary, just, oh, be still my heart. Oh, oh wait, wait, before we, before, we, before we go too deep into the uh, first tag team matchup there, 
Uh, definitely do have to mention, you know, Gorilla Monsoon and Roddy Piper are on commentary for this deal. And honestly, I feel like Roddy Piper was definitely a step above Gorilla, uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, as funny as it was for us to hear, like, all these jokes with, you know, turkeys and Thanksgiving and stuff like that, it just, it felt like it took away from the matches. With Roddy Piper, he definitely could relate to a lot of things that were going on in the ring. I think there was at one point where he would say, like, oh, I wrestled every single person in this matchup, but and they've all earned my respect. It's one of those things was like, that's awesome. Uh, they mentioned about a mega Survivor Series matchup uh, to end the night. So basically every winner of the Survivor Series matches would move on to the main event matchup. Uh, and they would also talk about a giant egg. That was right there. Welcome to hell, ladies and gentlemen. We had a Warriors pro- promo where the LOD were just awesome. Texas Tornado, he definitely had a great promo, definitely being like a typical babyface. And the Warrior was, well, Warrior was the Warrior. Okay, that's all out of the way. Mr. Fretz, go ahead, take it away. Uh, Piper on commentary was pure gold. I mean, from here to like SummerSlam 91, especially when Virgil won the million dollar title, and him just marking the hell out. Oh, I miss Piper so, so much. I, I, I love Roddy Piper. Uh, I might have to bump him into my top, well, maybe top five, uh, top ten, but my goodness. Uh, hey, do you remember our Demolition Legion of Doom talk from last week about being a ripoff? Well, they're facing each other now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they had a feud. That, that is true. I, I remember that conversation. Because it was... Um... Oh God! It, yeah, it, it was. It, I think it was like a demolition versus the. It was like the towers of pain or the powers of pain. Powers, powers, powers of pain. Yeah, last last week. So, uh, yeah. So it is kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, well now we're doing demolition versus Legion of Doom. How ironic! It's like rain. <laughs> um, yeah. So Texas Tornado, uh, he came out. Uh, the ring with the Intercontinental title, but he was not actually the Intercontinental Champion. You see, because the TV tapings just before this event aired not only featured the actual debut of The Undertaker, who was a slightly different name, which we'll get to, uh, but Mr. Perfect had reclaimed his Intercontinental title against uh, Kerry Von Erich. And uh, just the notes that I have here in this were, were about that. Um, and so perfect, obviously, to avoid spoilers, he didn't come out with the Intercontinental title. Von Erich, going back into the, the, the early 80s with The Claw, uh, I wrote down Axe got axed, lol, lots of weasel chants, just how strong Hawk was, and throughout this entire event, I just, it's, it's, it's sad, and more, it's morbid and sad, but I'm like, I counted the amount of people who are no longer with us, and it's, it's a lot in from this match. Uh, F off to all the air horns that you hear throughout the whole show, like, <sighs> like OSW talks about this, and they always complain about it. Just like, what goes through your head? When you go to a wrestling show, like they don't—I don't think they even allow them anymore. Mm. So it's like 
if I was sitting right next to a guy who was just going like, uh, yoink, uh, throw it in a bin, or uh, crack him in the head with it, and LOD and demolition, they, they themselves get disqualification, lots of booze. Um, to quote Tom Campbell from Cultaholic, are you saying boo or boo earn it down? <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's, I should have said that during the Seth Rollins bit. And uh, Warrior survives, and I would have loved to see this concept come. This was the only time we saw that Ultimate Survivor winner take all match. I would have loved to see that come back as a concept. Like, even, excuse me, this year, you get like all the people. Who, who was the. So Roman was the sole survivor, We're but the five good. on five on five thing was just. It was a clusterfuck, but I loved it. Right. Uh, and th- that's pretty much what I got for this match. It was fun. Yeah, I think that um, my notes on here have uh, the LOD atomic drop combo that they did. Animal did like the uh, regular atomic drop. Hawk did like an inverted atomic drop. And then Warrior hit a clothesline. I think it was either to one a demolition or two perfect. I can't remember who it was. Uh, you mentioned the whole claw deal. Warrior splash to limit X. Uh, crush would dominate Warrior just a bit. There was this weird spot where Mr. Perfect, I think he kind of botched an Irish whip. Uh, I don't know what happened there. It was just a situation where I don't know if he was supposed to hit the turnbuckle or something like that, but it just literally looked like he was trying to throw somebody into the rope, and then he realized, oh, they're not coming with me. I have to go cut this. It was really, it was a weird deal. Uh, loved the way that Hawk would use that flying clothesline as a finisher. I thought that was great. Um, Tornado would get eliminated by the uh, Perfect Plex. And then we got the classic Warrior deal where uh, he gets beaten down and then he does his little combo deal where he just goes, you know, clothesline, clothesline, shoulder block, splash. Warrior wins. He's the sole survivor. Yeah, honestly, it was a pretty good matchup to start off. Uh, There were a couple spots, you know, that were kind of hazy, kind of weird, but... To be honest, it was definitely something that got the people on their feet, and that's what matters. Uh, next, we have the Million Dollar Team having a nice little promo backstage. Uh, I will say this, that Greg the Hammer Valentine in kind of like an Elvis hairstyle is one of the funniest things I've ever seen, <laughs> and I will never see Greg in anything else besides that. Uh, Ted DiBiase, he hypes up his partner, as well as beating up uh, the Dream Team, to which I'm going to say this. The Dream Team as a Survivor Series team is one of my favorite pairings. I've honestly loved it. You have the you have Dusty Rhodes, you have Coco Beware, you have the Heart Foundation. Honest to God, you could have had Coco Beware and Dusty Rhodes teaming up, and I could have legitimately set, seen those two as a great tag team. Maybe they could have been like, you know, like the the you know the dusty birds or the the uh, the the cook the cuckoo the cuckoo roads or I don't know it's a working title but it dusty just, energy dusty there we go it would have been one of those things where it would have been cool just to see that because you could see them kind of you know just do maybe like little mini dances off throughout the deal I just think that would have been awesome uh, you know million dollar man had you know had himself he had with with him in blue and also. Oh, gosh, who was the, uh... Oh, wait, no, no, that's right, that's right. Um, then they introduced their final member. Uh, there was a point where Greg was coming out, and I looked at his lip, 
And it was like doing this weird like quiver deal, and I was thinking, is he having like a stroke or something? What the f- is going on? Uh, but at, at this moment, Ted DiBiase would just say, allow me to introduce our te- mystery partner, led to the ring by Brother Love, I give you The Undertaker. <laughs> and just the way that Piper uh, reacted is what makes this debut so memorable. Just that phrase of, look at the size of that ham hock. Just him. I love that. So it, it's just one of those things where it's funny, but at the same time, you're kind of like doing that nervous laugh of like, because <laughs> because you look at it, you know, in like a perspective of somebody who's watching it in 1990, this is an intimidating dude. You don't know anything about him. He's just coming out. You know, he's got the tie on. He's got the black shirt, the pants. You know, he takes his hat off. He's got the like dark underlining in his eyes, which makes him even a bit more intimidating. I mean, nowadays he probably couldn't get away with it, but back then it was one of those things where like, oh, geez, that's actually kind of creepy. Uh, I did say like, I said the Stone Cold face that he does, it works. It's one of those things where it's just so well done. And who do we have starting off this matchup? Undertaker and Bret the Hitman Hart. Little bit of foreshadowing. And as you said in the last uh, <laughs> you said in the last podcast, this was kind of during the time where they were definitely trying to test the waters out with Bret Hart. This was a match that definitely started getting Bret Hart's, you know, Deeper into the water to see if he would, or to see if he would swim or he would sink. Uh, it, during that deal, we just see Taker beating down Bret Hart, Jim the Animal Nightheart. He tries to come in, and he's just he's trying, but he fails as well. Coco comes in, and this is where we get the first introduction of the tombstone. And what a brutal tombstone that was! And he's done. Um, then we get, you know, Greg the Hammer Valentine, the American Dream. They kind of do a little shuffle between the two of them. Uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart hits a power slam on the Honky Tonk Man. And I will say this, I love that power slam move, especially when Jim the Anvil Neidhart or Animal hits it because they just deliver it like no other. It's just so brutal. Um, Jim hits that on the Honky Tonk Man, pins him one, two, three. Uh, I have a comment here that says, Dusty Dropkick. Never over that. I've just never gotten over the fact that Dusty Rhodes could hit a dropkick. I mean, he's kind of got the same amount of fluff that we probably have, and it's just, it's just, it's just absolutely insane. Um, Ted DiBiase hits a clothesline on Jimmy Hamill Nightheart, and that's it for him. And I was just kind of like, okay, that's that. That was weird. Um, Brett just tees off on Ted DiBiase, and the next thing you know. Undertaker's back in, and so is the American Dream. And all I have is just that emoji of just, of just like tongue going up, of just the idea of Undertaker versus the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Them in a one-on-one deal would be great. And I'm going to talk about that just a bit. Uh, Undertaker eliminates the American Dream with a double axe handle from the top rope. Never thought I'd see that. I've never seen that kind of situation happen before. Uh, but it was great. There's a point where uh, Dusty Rhodes, I believe, was going after Brother Love. Undertaker gets counted out, even though he's not the legal man, but they just decide he's out of the match because reason. 
I don't know. It was weird. It was kind of one of those weird things. Uh, Bret Hart would get a roll-up on Greg on Greg the, Greg the Hammer Valentine. He gets eliminated. It's down to Ted DiBiase versus Bret the Hitman Hart. Uh, Bret does a plancha onto Ted DiBiase onto the outside. That was awesome. I was like, okay, that's, that's new from Bret Hart. But all throughout here, it's just absolutely just great stuff. Just great chemistry between Bret Hart and Ted DiBiase. Why these guys were not like a headlining main event uh, pay-per-view match, I'll never know because it was just absolutely awesome. Uh, there came a point where Brett kind of faked a knee injury to catch Ted DiBiase off guard and get a close two count. Uh, Brett would then go for the cross body, but unfortunately Ted would roll it around. And the way that he did it, he didn't pull the tights. He actually rolls out of the cross body deal when he gets landed on it. And he actually clasped his hands together to kind of really put the pressure on that penny predicament. That was just great. Uh, so Ted DiBiase beats Brett, and he's going on to the finals. It's between the Ultimate Warrior and Ted DiBiase by far. So I'm going to say this right now. One thing that I kind of th- took away from this matchup is that, well, wouldn't it kind of been cool to have t- Undertaker versus Dusty Rhodes at WrestleMania instead of having you know Undertaker versus Jimmy Snuka? What could, if we could have had? Dusty and Taker battle at WrestleMania, that would have been a staple for Taker in the early parts of his career. All due respect to, you know, Snuka. But Dusty was still one of those guys that was still beloved by a lot of fans. And to have him beat a huge babyface like Dusty Rhodes, that would have just really stapled his career. Um, and I was trying to figure out, it's like, why, why is that? Was he not utilized during that time? And from what I found out was that his uh, in-ring career was kind of ended after the Royal Rumble. So after he and his uh, his, his son Dustin debuted, they um, they left and Dusty Rhodes just never competed after that until about, geez, when was that? Like 2008, 2009, something like that, when they had that quote-unquote Texas bull rope match between Randy, him and Randy Orton. Uh, he did ECW, actually, Dusty. He did some matches against Steve Carino and ECW in like 2000. Okay, I stay corrected. They were they were fun, and there was I don't know if it was the same match, but Billy Corgan was getting involved at this point in time too. And I remember just watching a random ECW, and Billy Corgan just hitting a guitar, but actually drawing dimes. Get that reference <laughs> on uh, on Steve Carino. It was weird, but it was so fun. Scott Hall was there, too. It was... ECW at the latter stage of their life was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Did you have anything to add for this uh, matchup between the Dream Team and the Million Dollar Team? I absolutely did. Okay. Uh, uh, I was going to put a theme in there, but it was going to take too long. But I have uh, Dusty not wearing any... Excuse me a moment. And not wearing any polka dots, which oh, I thought nice. was interesting. He was wearing the black and red, like him and Dustin wore at the Rumble. I loved Anvil's skull cap, and just, I think Piper kind of referenced it in here, but I remember Bret Hart talking about it in his DVD, that this was around the time that he lost his uh, brother Dean. I think it was a, he was really, really young, maybe not much uh, 
he was either a teenager or he was probably around around your age, but his his brother Dean passed away in 1990. Of it was like a cancer or childhood disease or something like that. And Bret Hart and Ted, you know, at this point in time, uh, Ted DiBiase was a very very um, conservative Christian, and he was caring, you know, helping Hart console over this and go through this. So it was like, you know what, uh, we're going to be the last two. And we, what we want, what Brett wanted to do was just put on a beautiful technical match uh, in tribute to Dean Hart. And that's what they did. I mean, they, they like out wrestled each other. And it was fantastic, proficient technical, uh, technical match here. Uh, uh, Rhythm and Blues with uh, Elvis and Fat Elvis themselves. Uh, Undertaker, I loved that call with look at the size of that ham hock. That was so funny with Piper. And another little idea he had in here, it was like, you think it's his coffee? And I'm like, does it coffee Marco stunt your growth? Um, And did you you know that? I know that was so bad. (laughs) Um, Undertaker had a slightly different name just before this. Kane the Undertaker. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I do and, remember that. And, and then, yeah, Kane, I thought it was neat that they referenced him later. I mean, uh, Glenn Jacobs actually just released a book this week, which is kind of funny, because do you remember the um, the kayfabe Kane book that came out around 2003? I don't think so. I, I forget what it was called. I'm... Uh, my phone's too far to reach now, but it was it was like, it was completely in kayfabe, and they called him Glenn Kane in oh, the wow. book, and it talked about like the quote unquote upbringing and the funeral parlor and the fire and Taker and you know Mark and Glenn as teenagers, and it's it's shit, but it's funny. Uh, Attitude Era podcast they did a. Uh, I think Into the Fire something to do with that. But yeah, Attitude Air Podcast did a review of it for their Bibliotech, which is funny because the co-host's name is Adam Bibolo. Bibliotech. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, highly recommended. It's on their feed. It used to be on their Patreon, but now it's free. Uh, that Kentucky Waterfall that came, uh, I mean, The Undertaker had here, that mullet. Ah, 90s. Uh, Taker and Brett, like, Brett's in there to put the shine on Taker, because at this point in time, we remember that Taker wasn't very very long in the business. So why not, you get in the ring with a guy like Brett, he'll shine you up real nice, but not stick you up sideways up your candy ass. Uh, it's like, when new guys come into the Fed in the mid-90s, what do you do? You put them in the ring against against the kid. If you can't get a good match with the 1-2-3 kid, Frig off with you. Uh, Coco just getting spiked. All the tombstone puns. And I loved... <coughs> I'm sorry, pardon me. That everyone at this point in time was feuding. Like, Rhythm and Blues had a match with the Heart Foundation. Uh, Ted DiBiase was feuding with, with Death the Baby. Coco was just there. And, you know, Taker being counted out and still looking strong. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, I can kind of see why Pritchard loves to impersonate Dusty. Uh, Taker going off the top rope. And then I, uh, and then, yep, I mentioned here the DVD. 
And at the very end of the match, when Bret Hart gets rolled up, you can see him audibly, audibly saying fuck on camera. And some VHS releases, um, or like even like the DVD, kind of uh, go wobbly over the mouth. Not on the network. It's, it's there. Uh, I like to hear that the seeds were kind of planted for Virgil's face turn eventually. And the whole technical masterpiece, you know, Ted DiBiase giving Bret Hart the rub, which is kind of full circle-ish with, you know, Roman and Keith, uh, Roman Reigns and Keith Lee this year. Yeah, give, give me as many Bret Hart and Ted DiBiase matches as possible. They had a very similar match to this where it uh, ended the exact same way with a roll-up and a reversal. And I think it's on Bret's DVD. Interesting. Nice. Uh, the next thing we have is the Vipers have their pro have their promo. It's uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, the Rockers, as well as uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka. These guys are just backstage, and Jake the Snake is talking about battle scars. The reason why he kind of talks about this is because he got blinded by Rick Martel with that. Uh, that aerosol uh, spray deal and one thing that I do have in my notes here is that there's a great shot where it just shows uh, Jake the Snake have one eye that's looking like it's blinded so that was just one of those things where it's like that's really good storytelling right there how they're doing that so next matchup we have on here is like I said the Vipers taking on the Visionaries which okay uh, Rick Martel the team captain uh, Paul Paul Roma Roma Hercules and the Warlord taking on the Vipers. Uh, one thing I thought that was really funny to kind of start this thing off was that <sighs> Gorilla Monsoon and Piper just continued saying saying Walrus so many times when they were talking about the Warlord. They kept saying like, "Well, the Walrus, uh, the, the Warlord." It's it's like they kept slipping on that. It's like, wow, you guys just cannot <laughs> get away from that. And it is kind of funny because they make him seem like a laughing stock, but uh, he is a guy that got eliminated in like three seconds in the Royal Rumble. So to be fair, can't say I blame him. Uh, just a reminder that the Rockers are just a really great team. This is definitely during the stages where Mario Gennetti and HBK definitely were just fun-loving guys and they were doing cool moves and stuff like that. HBK doing a monkey flip. Are you kidding me? I never thought I would see that. Uh, Mario Janae tried to do this dive off the top rope, but Warlord Cat caught it with a beautiful power slam to take him out. Uh, that hurricane run that Shawn Michaels does into the punches is just another great move of his. Uh, HBK tried to go for a cover on Warlord, but he gets tossed out of the ring after like a two, I think it was. Uh, a great clothesline sell by HBK during that steal. Uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker just taking it to Martel, doing the chops and doing these hits and everything like that. He goes for a crossbody on Martel, but uh, it gets countered. He uses the tights. Snook has been eliminated. Uh, during this entire deal, Martel tr just wheels away from Jake the Snake. He does not want anything to do with Jake the Snake. I mentioned that whole great shot of the blinded eye. Uh, we get that... Oh man, we get we get we get now. I see why uh, revival does this move. It's a really nice move. The uh, 
what, there's a spot where uh, HBK tries to fight back, but unfortunately, uh, Roma and Hercules, they do their power slicer move, which is the superplex in, into a splash deal. Like, one guy does superplex, the other guy does the splash. That's just a great tag team finish. Uh, he gets eliminated there. Uh, Warlord does get DDT, but unfortunately, he gets distracted by the referee, and he's not able to make the count for Jake the Snake. At this point, Jake is just like, you know what? I've had it. Grabs grabs his snake, grabs Damien, and he is chasing Rick Martell up the deal. Referee calls for the bell, and he just says, says, okay, Jake the Snake has been counted out. Therefore, you know, the entire team of Rick Martell, the Visionaries, has won the matchup, and it went from one-on-one to now being five-on-one. So the numbers are not looking too good for Warrior right now. Uh, but this is one of those points where I was questioning it because of the fact that, well, the last match you guys had this, Undertaker was not the legal man, and he got countered out. But in this one, Martel wasn't the legal man, but he was not countered out. So what? Just giant question mark right there. Uh, anything you want to add? theme, LOL, I'm a sucker for it, uh, Warlords, I don't know what the hell his Phantom of the Opera mask, the pop that Jake got, and Jake got cologne in his eyes, I'm holding cologne here, I've had this cologne in my eyes before, does the arena not have an eye wash station or something, like, my, my goodness, Jake, <laughs> uh, and you knew that the Phenom was a knee, a nickname previously affixed to one Jimmy Snuka, right? I believe so. Yep, and then the I believe he would quote-unquote lose that moniker when The Undertaker squashed him at WrestleMania. <laughs> uh, the Warlord destroying Marty Chinetti. Uh, DDT chance, which I swear I've heard Moxley get, either in WWE or even recently in AEW, the height of that back body drop that Warlord gave to Shawn Michaels, please don't die. And fun fact about Hercules. So when we get to War Rumble 1992, we're going to talk about this Iron Man streak that Herc had. From WrestleMania 1 in 1985 to Royal Rumble 1992, Hercules appeared at Every single consecutive pay-per-view from then till then. Totaling 20 consecutive appearances. Jeez. Uh, That superplex, I love that superplex splash by Power and Glory. Or, you know, as World Warrior Hawk once called them, Sour and Glory. Uh... When it was 4-1, to one, my Toronto Maple Leafs anxiety started to trigger me a little bit. Uh, Leaf fans, you'll you'll know what I mean. I'm not revisiting that because therapy. Uh, and the whole thing just went into a gigantic schmoz. And I love that this long-term storytelling that we got out of Martel and Roberts. Because the Cologne thing happened in what? September? Roughly. And their blow-off was the following March at WrestleMania 7. Good show, by the way. Uh, possibly a review. Possibly. But there's like 
19 matches on that playing card. Uh, we get a nice little Hulkamaniacs uh, promo where we have Tugboat, Big Boss Man, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and Hulk Hogan. They're talking about they're talking about the war. They're talking about how Hacksaw has his you know uh, board covered up in ribbons to show support for that. Talking about how they're going to battle earthquake and the natural disasters, everything like that. Kind of a nice, basic kind of promo. Uh, next matchup we have is the Hulkamaniacs versus the Natural Disasters. Natural Disasters headed up by Earthquake, uh, also led by the Barbarian, as well as Dino Bravo and Haku. So this will be a very interesting matchup to talk about. Mr. Fretz, the floor is yours. Well, I, what did I have here? I had a, I had a couple of notes. Uh, Haku just got killed right away in this match. Uh, that he Hacksaw, did. Hacksaw did not last long himself. And there's a line in here that Pi- I forgot what Piper said. Pardon me, but he said, um, this is the first time I've been wrong since 54. Oh, I do 54. remember those moments. Oh, 54 was the year Piper was born. That's the joke. It's like, you know, it's that bit with Randy Wolfcastle. That's the joke. You suck, McBain. Uh, and I wrote down here that I, that's basically all I, all I had here. Uh, at this point in time, uh, nope, never mind. Not counting the, that, not counting the next segment, actually counting the next segment, my, uh, my death count is 18. Oh. In this, this is so depressing. It's so sad to look back on this, but I liked how, um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't write a lot of things down for Hulk Hogan because it was just you know Hogan must pose, pal. Uh, cl- classic Hogan uh, getting the getting the victory here because it's the ni- it's because it's the nineties. It's Hulkamania. I thought it was kind of ironic that there was a team called the Natural Disasters and Tugboat, aka Typhoon, was on the opposite end of it. Uh, and then we had Canada's strongest man, Dino Bravo, in. He didn't have many... No, he had a few more pay-per-view appearances after this. I think Rumble 90, like 1992 is when a lot of this era uh, started to kind of disappear. Uh, yeah, but he was... I got a soft spot for Dino. I mean, that that side, that side suplex, which is just a sidewalk slam, it, it got me over. And it's not just because he's Canadian, but actually, yes, it is. It is. And uh, Earthquake is from uh, British Columbia, who is an actual, who he was an actual Yokozuna. <laughs> and in a full circle twist of fate, uh, if you've been following the Cultaholic Classic Raw, re- Raw reviews like I have, they're about to talk about a sumo match that Earthquake had with Yokozuna, you know, Rodney and Noai, Yokozuna, WWE. In '94, they, they took out. It's, it's like the Big Show Aki Bono. <sighs> it, it's it's like that, but this one was good. I'm, I know Aki Bono was an actual sumo, but you put Big Show in there because fat. I don't know um, because reasons. Because because reasons, but you know Rodney wasn't wasn't a sumo himself, but uh, John Tanto was, and he was a badass. So they took out the ropes. And, you know, Tenta and Yokozuna had a real one on Raw. I thought it was really neat. Uh, I love this Macho King promo coming up here, setting up his feud with the Warrior. Yeah. Um, 
So, so just like a couple of notes I'll have in there. You definitely did hit about the whole, like, Haku got gone. Uh, Earthquake was kind of like the big guy of the matchup. So when he got slammed by Hogan, oh, it's a big deal. Then he would slam Hogan back because reasons. Why not? Uh, Hogan pinning Bravo with a small package surprised the hell out of me. I was like, wait, what? Uh, okay, then. That's uh, that's kind of interesting. Um yeah, Quake would do like a couple of elbows and he would take out the big boss man. Earthquake and Tugboat would get eliminated by a countout, because why not? And then, yep, Powers of Hogan winning the matchup. So, hey, at least it's not, you know, just one person now. It's now five on two at this point. And, gee, I wonder how this is going to go. Uh, okay, yeah, let's talk about the uh, Macho King promo that we had here. So... You definitely did hit the fact that it was a major setup for, especially like the Warrior and uh, Macho King setting the pace for like the rest of their careers. Um, one thing that I put on here was that <laughs> I put down Macho King dot 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 of peppermint red and white because he had that red and white striped suit on. So I was literally just like, wow, he looks like a giant candy cane. It's not even Christmas yet. Uh, but this was one of those deals where, you know, Macho Man, he is just out there talking about how he is going to be, you know, the champion, and Gene Okerlund would call him out, basically say, saying, well, you had, you know, quit sensational show Queen Sherry, you know, doing your dirty work for you, and, of course, Macho Man can't play self, he's like, no, 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 she is not doing any dirty work for me. If he has a problem with me, he can come find me. And Gene Okerlund just says, well, gee, he's having a hard time finding you. He's like, well, he's looking at all the wrong places. I'm just like, he's got an answer for everything. That's This is classic Macho Man. I like it. This was a great promo by Macho by the Macho King. Uh, it, it was just absolutely entertaining. Yeah. Uh, no, classic, shouty, uh, Macho Man here is uh, another guy I miss just so bloody much. He was he was so good, and their retirement match at WrestleMania Seven I thought was something else. I mean, Ultimate Warrior in like a thirty minute match you'd think would just be an abomination, but if you're in there with a ring general and a techno technically proficient guy like Mach. Like it's it's good, and I yeah I, I was weirder weird like why was Macho King not booked on this event? Like he would have looked good on like the I don't know million dollar t- million dollar team or let me go through my or on the Visionaries or something like that. But yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I. It is kind of weird that that didn't do it, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, next up, we have the Alliance taking on the Mercenaries. So this is kind of like a like a Team USA versus Team, you know, oh USA kind of sucks. The um, the Alliance had uh, the Bushbackers, Butch and Luke, Nikolai Volkov, who embraced the United States of America after. I think I think it, from what I remember, I think it was after the war between 
uh, Russia and America was over. That's when he started kind of embracing it. Uh, and also, I'm sorry, it was the the collapse of the USSR. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And the Berlin was it the? No, no, wait, no. That's a different. That's a different thing. That's different. Uh, that's different. Yeah, I was gonna say the Berlin Wall, but I'm like, no, that's East and West Germany. Yeah. But this, it, this was um, the USSR. Okay. USSR. I think the, the, the there was a bit in Tiananmen Square. I think was that was someone that was somewhere else. I think I'm crossing. With, there was a lot of fucking wars in my lifetime. My God. <laughs> um, um, so, so for the alliance, we also had uh, Tito Santana on the mercenary side. We had uh, Boris. Uh, Zukov, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, and also the Orient Express, Sato, and Tanaka. So we started off with, you know, the Alliance, they come out, they're in the ring, they're ready to go. Here come the mercenaries, and Sergeant Slaughter, my God, this guy can go from babyface to heel in the in the flick of a switch. And if you want any proof of that, you'd have to listen to this promo, where, of course, they're talking about, you know, Everything that's going on with the overseas deal, and Sergeant Slaughter is just saying, you know, what was great about this Thanksgiving was that we didn't have sand in our sandwiches, we didn't have rocks in our turkey, we sure as hell didn't have any sand on our pumpkin pie. We we're basically just rubbing it in the fact that they didn't weren't overseas, that they were living the good life. It was just one of those things where. He was just putting them down, and he even put down Mean Gene during this promo too, which I thought was just fucking hilarious. Uh, matchup starts. Tito actually takes out Boris like almost immediately with a flying forearm. It was just like, oh well, okay, that's that's interesting. Uh, the Orient Express they have a little bit of a miscommunication where they try to double team. They ducked it. Bushwhackers they decide, hey, let's do our classic headbutt deal. They do it. Boom. That's what takes out uh, Sonato. Tito hits another four-on and takes out Tanaka. And it automatically goes down to four-on-one. Sergeant Slaughter's all by himself. So it was kind of like, huh, well, this is going to work out nicely. Uh, Nikolai Volkov, he just goes crazy on Sergeant Slaughter. You know, he's doing, like, smacks and punches and stuff like that. Uh, But then Slaughter, out of nowhere, makes a comeback. He hits a few elbow drops on Kolov, hits one final one to eliminate him. He hits a gut buster on Luke to eliminate him. Just one clothesline to Bush that eliminates him. And then he is seemingly going to have the victory on Tito Santana. The referee gets knocked down. Uh, the the uh, Anada, I believe, what is his name? He comes in with the flag. Beats down uh, Tito because the one referee's down, but doesn't realize the second referee is right there. Uh, Slaughter decides to lock in the camel clutch. Referee is coming too. He's calling for the bell. Doesn't even look like Tito was uh, tapping out, but Slaughter's like, Yeah, I did it! I did it! And it's just so funny because the way that they set this up was just brilliant. Where Howard Finkel, he just goes, Sergeant Slaughter has been disqualified. It's just going to be like, from like, yay to, what? What? <laughs> Therefore, your lone survivor is Tito Santana. I could watch that all day, where it's just like a quick pull of the, pull of, you know, the, the feet under the rug. Just 
let just let that happen again and again. I'm starting to slaughter. That was just that was just brilliant. So we have the main matchup set up. So we have a five on three now. Tito is going to be advancing. Uh, honestly, this was a pretty decent matchup. This was not one of those things where it was like you know too crazy. I, th I think this is kind of more like the entertainment deal because you do have the Bushwhackers and you have the Orient Express, but. Nothing really too noteworthy for me here, but I don't know. What did you think of this matchup? Eh, it, it was what it was. I thought it was a really neat uh, uh, full circle, not full, but I'm looking for something that's either full circle or like uh, <clears throat> a little bit of irony here. So we had Nikolai Volkov, who used to tag with Boris Zukov as the Bolsheviks, uh, when Sergeant Slaughter turned face and re-embraced America after the Desert Storm went went south, uh, Sarge started tagging with Hacksaw Dubbin and Nikolai Volkov as American patriots yet again. And this whole thing reminded me of uh, Vladimir Kozlov's original uh, gimmick, like, I love America. I love double-double-E. Oh, that's right. Uh, Piper is giving out to everything here, despite the fact that he was Canadian. Uh, you know, we're, we're allies up here, I think, for the most part. Uh, and Tito Santana just going, like, full Roman Reigns on everybody, like, flying forearm, flying forearm. And then Sarge does the same thing, goes through everybody himself. Uh, and I, I loved when, I love when, like, Howard Fink, Howard Finkel used to do this all the time back back in this day, be like, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, and then there's these, like, holding up, and it has been this, he just starts giving out, starts going nuts, going after everybody, so, Tito is your sole survivor, and what a performer this guy was, like, even if you go back to his stuff in, man, pre-WrestleMania, like, his Intercontinental title feud with Greg Valentine, uh, his tag, his tag team, title matches when he tagged with um, uh, Polish power Ivan Putski they were feuding with the Wild Sam Owens like their matches Tito was a fiery baby face like a, a, he was a great performer even his yeah, his match with HBK at Mania 8 was a little botchy but some of their other stuff the guy can go he, no one talks about Tito but when I was uh, I wasn't watching at this point in time but couple of years later when I started renting tapes I'm like dude where can I get a Tito shirt I like this guy <laughs> uh, we go to the backstage area where the million dollar team they're just kind of celebrating the fact that oh where it's five of us against the three of them we got the advantage it's going to be amazing and blah 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 uh, we would kind of get like the same thing with uh, Hogan, Warrior and Tito where they kind of build it up so Pretty good, so, so pretty decent, you know, promos that happened there. All right, so we go on to the main event, and then we... What? Excuse we, do we, do no, we, move on. Please, stop. No. No, we, no, we have to. I'm going to suck it up. So, you know what, that's fair, that's fair. I'll, I'm, I'm literally going to have to take a shot after this. So... Before we get into the main event, of course, we mentioned that there was an egg at the end of this. And Gene Okerlund, he talks about how it's, oh, it's hot in here. And 
the incubator might be doing blah, 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 might do good. We get to see what pops out of this egg. Thankfully, the, it was not The Undertaker, who would have thought he was like Eggman or something like that. Um, out pops out this person in the turkey costume. And I kid you not, the minute that happens, nobody cheers. Nobody was positive about it. People have said negative things about this thing. And poor Hector Guerrero. God bless the man for giving it his his all for this. He tries to make this character into a, a thing that would work. Did it happen? No. Uh, so basically they talk about, oh, you're, gob you're gobbling a lot. You're such a gooker, aren't you? Don't tell me you're the gobbledygooker. And it's like, oh. They have this deal where me and Gene Okerlund and gobbledygooker dance in the ring and gobbledygooker just bounces off the ropes. He does this deal where he does a a front roll and then a back roll. Just a total waste of time. <sighs> yeah. And, hey, if you guys want to know the kind of impact that the gobbledygooker had on him on wrestling, there's this nice little thing called WrestleCrap, and they have a, an award named after him called the Gooker, which is dedicated for worst debuts for any kind of gimmick. So... That tells you kind of how much of an impact the Gobbledygooker had. I mean, we also had him come back every now and then, including one where Maurice dressed up like the Gobbledygooker and attacked Molina. I mean, that was something. Let's go on to the main event, shall we? Please. <laughs> so the five-on-three three matchup here. So just to recap... Who is all on whose team? We have Hulk Hogan, Tito Santana, and the Warrior taking on Hercules, Paul Roma, Paul Roma, Rick Martel, Ted DiBiase, and the Warlord. You know how we talked about the Warlord for Royal Rumble? Yeah, he doesn't really last that much long in this match either. Tito with his forearm, one, two, three, Warlord is gone. Uh, Ted DiBiase would do a nice little hotshot deal, shades of stunning Steve Austin, and he would be eliminated there. Mr. Hogan would decide, hey, I'm going to do a clothesline. There goes Roma. Martel, he gets a big boot from Hogan. It looks like he's about to eat the light drop. He goes for it again. Martel rolls out of the ring, and he's like, nope, nope, I'm, I'm done. I'm gone. So he gets counted out. Uh, Hogan hits a classic leg drop on Ted DiBiase. Then Warrior does his little combo deal, clothesline, clothesline, shoulder block. Splash to Hercules, one, two, three. Hogan and Warrior win, and in a very interesting way to end the show, we see Hogan do a deal where he's showing props to Ultimate Warrior. He's holding the ropes up, and he's just like, after you, my good sir. Warrior's just like, no, 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 I'm pulling you away. You get to go out. And then Hogan kind of like embellishes, he's pointing at him, doing the whole Hogan uh wave of the arm deal and they both leave nothing really too eventful about this main event uh, th this was ba I, th I think that you know nowadays it's kind of obvious but when you're young when you're a wrestling fan you live for the stuff where you know the baby faces kind of win and they overcome the odds and that's kind of what happened here had uh, Hogan and or Warrior been eliminated during this deal maybe people would probably receive it a bit better but that was just that was just it. Uh, 
one thing I wanted to state about this whole entire idea, and we definitely would love to see this concept come back again, had this been the kind of concept that they had, I would have personally loved to have seen something where they do this kind of setup, but um, when they get to like the main event, if the champion is involved in it, it's for the championship. If the champion's not involved in it, it's a number one contendership deal where all the people that have won their matches, they're fighting against each other in the main event, they get a title shot, or they're fighting to see who gets the next title shot, something like that. Just make some kind of thing innovative about it. Don't make it just a match where it's like, oh, it's about brand supremacy or blah, 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 blah. We've heard that crap before. And people should be rewarded for that. I mean, honestly, I think the way that you know Keith Lee and Dijakovic got rewarded with a tag team title shot, hey, they didn't. Re- they won it, you know, war games. They didn't win at Survivor Series, but hey, they were a part of the winning team. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, hey, we want to reward our talent for what they did, and they deserve this kind of spot. And I think, in all honesty, I think Keith Lee deserved that spot, spot for the tag team titles. He earned it. It wasn't one of those things where it's like gift wrapped it to him. It's like, no, him and Dijakovic have been killing them, killing each other for the last few months. Why would they want to team up with each other? It's for the tag team titles. We'll see what we can do. And I don't know if that was kind of what it was, where maybe they were just kind of like the disgruntled partners going like, fine, we'll tag or something like that. I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, but if that's the way it was, it's the way I'd expect it to be. I wouldn't expect them to be like buddy-buddy, be like, oh, hey, let's tag out, buddy. Oh, cool, thanks, buddy. You're such a great tag team partner. No, I'd be literally thinking that they would just be slapping each other across the face like Cena and Batista back in 2007 or something like that. But that's just me. Anyway, uh, that's kind of like my favorite book for this. So, Mr. Fretz, your thoughts on the main event? Babyface had to get uh, eliminated for the heat, and then you know Hogan and Warrior must pose, pal. Uh, yep, I thought it was good, and it was kind of neat how you had uh, WrestleMania six earlier in the year, how they had their their match and their show of respect. You come full circle to the end of Survivor Series nineteen ninety, and it's the same thing. Uh, thought it was good. This was an enjoyable card from top to bottom. Not a lot of duds, other than uh, the the turkey, which I just fast forward through every time. Uh, I I thought I'd see what what everything, how bad it was, and it was worse than what I imagined it to be. So, all in all, nineteen ninety Survivor Series was a pretty decent show. I would dare say that it was maybe slightly better than the previous year of uh, nineteen eighty nine, but it probably was because of those uh, great. Moments with the baby faces. We also got to see the debut of the Undertaker. Uh, some pretty, some pretty good spots. Some pretty good matches. Um, it was an all, all pretty good way to do it. And uh, before we go, I thought it might be cool if we could just like name maybe like just a couple or just one uh, great moment with that involves the Undertaker because we are actually going to be reaching his thirty year anniversary next year. But we'll definitely do like a top ten list of, you know, either favorite matches or favorite moments of his. But like something that kind of stands out when it comes to the Undertaker. It is kind of one of those things where this could be an episode where it kind of honors a bit of his career. We talked about the broken skull, uh, broken uh, skull sessions. That was really cool to hear that kind of stuff. Uh, if I had to pick like a favorite moment from 
Undertaker's career, I would definitely have to say uh, any time that he would respond to a lot of the WrestleMania uh, challenges that were put out was always really great. I know back in 2005 was when he started doing that whole deal where he would actually have on the on the graphics he would show like oh this was my vic- this is what happened to my victim at WrestleMania 7 or this is what happened at WrestleMania uh, 12 you know all these kind of deals and then it just kind of ends with him just say saying fill, fill the blank up the first one was Randy Orton rest in peace just those were really cool moments and anytime that he has promo moments it's just absolutely awesome uh, I think my earliest memory of him was when he was shooting with JBL and JBL decided to mock the Undertaker he had uh, he had the little man coming out dressed up as the Undertaker and he's making all these like short puns and JBL is about to tombstone him but then the lights the gong goes lights go out lights come back on there's the Undertaker and he just he beats down a little bit on JBL, and we see this moment where where he's doing like the whole you know kneeling deal, and he's got his arm there. He's just focused on that, and then the little guy just comes up right next to him, doing the same thing. And the Undertaker just just like quickly turns his head, looks at the short man, and this little guy, he's just like, I wasn't trying to mock you, dude. No, no, he's just like shaking his head, grabs the guy by the throat. Picks him up, and you just see his little legs are just like shaking as he's up there, and he gets choke slammed. Oh man, that was one of my earlier memories of the Undertaker, and that was a that was a that was like one of my favorite ones because it was a funny moment that he probably one of the few funny moments of his career that I remember of his. That was just so great. But uh, what about you, Fretz? What are some of your favorite memories of the Undertaker? again, but the the setup to the feud with Yokozuna at Rumble ninety four with all the funeral parlor segments and the oh, double yeah. wide, double deep caskets, oh yes. Uh, and the and I'll just I'll just spout one one more off here. Uh, the boiler room brawl with mankind and the turn of Paul Bear. Oh man, that's those are those are some pretty good moments. Uh, I'll, try, I'll try to think of like one more, since you got you got three there. I'll try to get like a third one in there there as well. Um, oh, this was a good one. This was a good one. Um, there, there. Do you remember the build up to Triple H and Undertaker one at WrestleMania X seven, where, where 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 Stephanie has the restraining order put on Undertaker. And there's this just there's this moment where where Taker's just talking to Kane. Kane starts stalking Stephanie, and Paul Heyman has that line of, "Oh man, there's no restraining order against Kane." Next thing we see is Stephanie is up on like the top of the like a balcony or something like that with Kane just holding her up, and Undertaker's just doing a deal where where he's just like, "That'd be kind of a nasty fall now, wouldn't it?" 
And Regal's like, well, what is it that you want? It's like, I want a match with Triple H at WrestleMania, one-on-one. I can't do that. What? Hey, hey, Kane, why don't you send Stephanie down here? It's like, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, fine, you got your match, you got your match. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, God, you sick, twisted bastard. But at the same time, that it was brilliant. That was a great way to get your point across. You don't see that kind of stuff anymore because, obviously, oh, it's too real. Yeah, we got, uh, we got a Russian who hates a Bulgarian because he's a quote-unquote sex addict, so he's dating a African-American former ECW champion because that's real. Yeah. Yeah, folks, that, that's real. Anyway, going, going back, happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Just Undertaker's had a, quite the illustrious career. Uh, there's some moments that, uh, well, there's at least some like accomplishments that he's not gotten a chance to do. Uh, you know, we've talked about his many world titles, the Royal Rumbles that he's won, tag team championships. Uh, he was a former hardcore champion too, which is crazy to think that. Uh, some people are saying, well, he's not quite a triple cha- triple crown champion. He's never been U.S. champion or intercontinental champion. He's at a point where he doesn't need those belts. I mean, for for John Cena, it kind of worked with him because even though he was a big star, it was kind of part of his roots. It was kind of one of those things where it made him a star. So he, it was easy for him to kind of go back and be like, hey, I'm going to go back and work with this championship now and kind of give it more prestige. It worked for him. Uh, I could not see Triple H doing that with, like, say, an Intercontinental Champion, even though he was Intercontinental Champion, like, two or three times, I want to say. Okay, maybe it was four times. I'm trying to to remember exactly what it was. But um, there's some people that have reached that point where they've made quite a name for themselves, that they don't need that kind of deal. Um, Taker is definitely one of them. I would say Hogan is another... Ah, man, I'm trying to think of somebody else who was, like, who was never, like, Intercontinental Champion, but, uh, jeez, please. Eh, it'll probably come to me later, but, uh, yeah, so, we, the entire career of The Undertaker has just been filled with great matches, great moments, and just so much great stuff. When we get to the Hall of Fame deal, it is going to be very emotional, but it's also going to be just absolutely beautiful, so... That has been this edition of the Game Changer Podcast. It has been our Survivor Series prediction. It has been our Survivor Series recap, I should say. And, guys, we are just a few short weeks away from the end of the year. In fact, this is going to be one of four podcasts that we have going into the final bits of the year. As soon as we are done with that, we are into 2020. And it's going to be absolutely great. So... Some quick announcements to you guys. As I mentioned before, uh, Wrestling Awards will be taking place on the 8th of December, so definitely check that out. And we are hoping that we get a victory out of that because that would be freaking awesome. Uh, I've mentioned before that I will be a part of uh, Blizzard Brawl in Milwaukee on the 7th. And I'll be a part of ACW 6th Anniversary Show as a commentator on the 6th. That's going to be a very crazy show. Set of shows, I should say. Jeez Louise, all three of those weekend days, I'm going to be busy, busy, busy. But you know something? It's all worth it in the end. Um, As far as other big-time events that are coming up, I know that NWA has actually got a big show coming up 
within the, I think it actually might be next weekend, maybe. I'm trying to remember exactly. But uh, WWE is going to have their TLC show coming up as the final deal. I'm expecting nothing really crazy for that one because, you know, it's WWE and they don't, you know, bust their load out at the end of the year like they used to. Um, as far as, like, the end of the year goes, I can't really think of anything too crazy. But, hey, I've said this before. I say it again. Go check us out. On our Twitter at Attic underscore Wrestle for all the people at the Wrestle Attic Radio family. Us here at the Game Changer Podcast, at the Kings of the Ring Podcast, the Fourth Wall WrestleCast, Nacho Mama Soap Opera, as well as the Gift of Podcast. Definitely check them out. You can check out Mr. Fritz at the Legendary JF, and you should also check out his podcast. There's a lot of really great content in there. Uh, check us out on our Patreon because we upload. So much of that monthly, and it's all for the low price of five bucks, you guys. You can check me out on Twitter at RealFNGame. And we're on so many different podcasting platforms. It's getting to the point where it's that ridiculous. Definitely check it out. Um, some ones I can think of offhand are iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio. So many more that are just in part of that. So definitely check it out. Definitely give us a listen. Let us know what you guys think. We are here to keep wrestling real for you guys because we respect it that much. So, Mr. Fritz, final thoughts? Uh, happy Thanksgiving. It is now Thursday morning, so happy Thanksgiving, America. Although this will upload until Sunday. Yeah, whatever. Um, I'm going to be reviewing December to Dismember sometime next month. Wait, which and one? The, what, the day uh, that Yes, that, that's what I was just going to say. It's going to be on Fretzelmania, and I'm going to put it in uh, the Patreon as well. And I really got to go to the bathroom, so I'm going to say good night, everybody. <laughs> that's all, folks. Boy. The big deals don't stop just because Black Friday does. This weekend, get a huge 50% off all sweaters and 50% off all jeans in stores and online Saturday and Sunday. That's right. All sweaters and all jeans are 50% off all weekend long. The must-get gifts at the top of your holiday list are on super sale. Slay the holidays this weekend with 50% off all sweaters and jeans at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 11:30 to 12:1 In stores only 12:1 Excludes in-store clearance, active and licensed. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn, 
Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.